everyone, and welcome to episode 155 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Today we have two regular segments for you and then a bonus segment. Uh, kicking the show off, Justin and Alex get together to break down the 50 facts about Smash Brothers for Wii U that were just revealed in a Nintendo Direct earlier this week. And after that, myself, Neil, Becky, Kim, and Zach get together to talk about Gamergate. Buckle up. And after the outro, we have a bonus segment all about the 2014-15 NHL season. That is with myself, Donald, and JP. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a brand new segment of Nintendo World Report Connectivity. I'm your host, Alexander Kalafi, and with me to talk about the newest Super Smash Brothers for Wii U Nintendo Direct, Justin Berube. Hey, how you doing, guys? So, this latest Nintendo Direct took place on Thursday, and... Simply put, it just had 50 new things in Smash Bros. for Wii U that is not in the 3DS version, exactly as was promised. And it was done by the announcer for Smash Bros. for Wii U, which I thought was a clever approach. And my first impression was that Nintendo intentionally put the 3DS version out first, so the Wii U version would look way better by comparison. I agree with you on that one, and at the same time, they probably did it so the 3DS version didn't look like shit in comparison. And by the way, <laughs> after this Direct, it looks like shit by comparison. It's still a lot of fun. I'm going to put it out there. I love the 3DS version, but this looks right. way better on Wii U. It's, I think the, uh, the important word in that sentence is by comparison. I think Super Smash Bros. for 3DS is a great game, and if we do a top 10 and we don't count the two games together... I think there's a chance of 3DS hitting the top 10 list. I think it's good enough to, on its own to be one of the top 10 best Nintendo games of the year. But, after this Direct, it seemed like even Nintendo was taking shots at the 3DS version for a while. Yeah, they were. I mean, the, the Wii U version just looks that much better. There's no denying it. There's no way around it. It re like A lot of people were saying before the game was coming out, uh, the 3DS is just going to be the shitty version, and then the Wii U version is going to be the real version of Smash Bros. And I originally thought that was going to be bullshit. I thought it was going to be uh, the 3DS and Wii U version are mostly identical, and the Wii U version would be exactly as sparse on content as the 3DS version was. But no, it seems like they were saving all of the cool stuff for the Wii U game. It does seem that way, but... I do like some of the features of the 3DS version. Like, I really like that you can... Well, I guess we'll get into it, but you'll be able to move your custom characters over to the Wii U version, but... Sure. Uh, okay. So the way we're going to do this segment is very simple. I'm going to go down a list of all 53, 54 of the new features announced at the Nintendo Direct, uh, with Mewtwo coming at the very end, of course. And whenever someone has something to say, whenever someone has an opinion of some kind... So, okay, so let's say the first one. The fighters in Smash Bros. for 3DS will move over to the Wii U version of the of the same moves. Justin would say, Smash. Smash. And then we would talk about the, uh, and then we would talk about the point. However, if it was number two, and it was the resolution difference between the 3DS and Wii U version is major, the Wii U version will have higher resolution HD, and we have nothing to say about that, we won't say Smash, and we will move on to the next point. Does that make sense, Justin? I think I've got it. Alright. The fighters in Smash Bros. for 3DS will move over to the Wii U version with the same moves. Smash! <laughs> what do you gotta say? Uh, I'm excited for this feature, but at the same time, uh, they didn't really go into it. I'm curious as to if I'm gonna have to unlock all that stuff again on the Wii U version, or if I'm gonna have to move that stuff over all the time. Because 
I did unlock all the custom moves in the 3DS version for every fighter, so I really don't want to have to go through that again. So you're talking about, like, basically all six, seven, or eight for every single one of the almost 50? You did every single one? Yes, the only thing left in the 3DS version I actually had to do is unlock all the me headgear, which is really hard to do. It's completely random and luck-based. How many hours do you have on the 3DS version, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I could look that up for you right now and report back in a minute. All right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is interesting how they're approaching the characters in this game, because there are going to be more unlocked than were in the 3DS version, like Bowser Jr. is going to be unlocked right away, Ganondorf's going to be unlocked right away, but none of these characters are a surprise, so it seems almost a little pointless to uh, to just unlock half of them. If it was me, and if, it was, if I was Nintendo, I would either make it exactly the same as the 3DS version, or leave the opportunity for all of them to be unlocked if you've already unlocked them in the 3DS game. I mean, I personally would rather just have everything unlocked if I connect my 3DS game. I don't need to see the Challenger approaching stuff again. I mean, the first thing I did when I got the game was immediately try to unlock every character as quickly as possible. Do you like unlocking things in Smash Bros., or do you just want everything accessible to you immediately? I mean, I know you. I know doing it twice in a row might not be uh, so great, but do you like doing it the first time? Uh, some of it I do. I'm, the characters are fine, the trophies are fun to unlock, but... When it gets down to, like, near the end, like I am now, and it's just a random number or generator, I'm waiting for, like, the proper thing to come up, and it's just time-consuming and tedious. I'd rather there be, like, a way out through the option of coins, because right now in the 3DS version I have so many coins, and I can't even buy anything with them, so I'm just collecting coins for no reason at this point. And it would be nice if I can go into a shop and just buy the remaining items I need instead of waiting for some magical random number to generate that I can't see to give me what I want. Sure. Uh, did you end up getting an hour count, by the way? I'm still working on it. Just... Alright. Uh, number two, I assume we don't want to talk about the fact that the Wii U version looks better than the 3DS version? Okay. Okay, and then number three is a big one. Eight players will be able to play at once. This is a special mode, so only a few stages will be able to showcase eight-fighter gameplay. Smash, obviously, because this is such a big deal, and it's kind of amazing they didn't focus on it more. Because the idea of eight-player Smash, at first uh, glance, you're like, okay, now there's more players. But once you see it in action, once you see what eight players playing Smash Bros. together looks like in action, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it looks like pure chaos, but fun chaos. The good chaos. kind, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I thought the uh, the way of hyping it up was pretty cool. How they were like, now you can play with five Smash Brothers characters for the first time. But wait, now you can play as six characters for the in Smash Bros. for the first time. And then they did it all the way up to eight characters for the first time. And I'm wondering how you're going to get eight players on a Wii U. Because I heard that what you can do is... You can plug two GameCube adapters into the Wii U and get eight GameCube controllers playing at the exact same time. I wonder if there's going to be some way of, like, turning that into tournament play. Like, that might be a cool way, if there was, like, regionals for Smash Bros, of weeding out a lot of the weaker players really fast. Uh, I wouldn't agree with that, just because in that type of environment, the stages are so big, you can have people hiding. Uh, As far as 
tournaments go, it really has to be one-on-one. Otherwise, it's really not going to tell you much. Because, sure, over time, the best player might emerge as the winner most of the time. But you can pretty much get screwed in one of those matches. Especially if seven other people are like, hey, this guy's known to be really good. Let's just team up on him. Because sure. I don't know what you're going to do against seven other opponents. Yeah, you kind of get into Mario Kart logic at that point. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I wanted to add about this is the Ice Climbers are my favorite Smash Brothers character, and we know that they've been removed because of the 3DS limitations, but I'm also wondering if this 8-player mode factored into their deletion, because if you had 8 people playing as Ice Climbers on the Wii U, that'd be 16 characters jumping around. So... That's just something I, I'm thinking about a little bit. The yeah, Wii U version contribute to that as well. It's uh, it's kind of telling that this mode doesn't work online, and also that only like a chunk of the stages will actually be compatible with 8-player Smash. I think they had to be really delicate to get this mode to work as much as it does. And if they add variables like uh, even more characters, even more CPUs onto the screen at once... It, the game might just break. Exactly. And I do have that hour count for you now. All right, can I guess? Go ahead. 180 hours. That's just about right, but <laughs> I, I, it actually says 227 hours, but I left the game on for 50 hours to finish a challenge, so... So it's relatively close. Yes, it just surpassed Animal Crossing New Leaf as my most played 3DS game. Those are Animal Crossing hours, aren't they? Aren't they? Yeah, they really are. <laughs> Do you think you'll get it to the big four digits? Uh, it's hard to say because who knows what's going to happen once the Wii U version comes out? Am I going to kind of shelve this a little bit or not? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I wonder just what's going to happen to the 3DS version after the Wii U comes out, and how this, the the uh, release of the 3DS version is going to affect the Wii U version. Because I. It could go one of two ways. Either the 3DS version being much worse is going to significantly boost the sales of the Wii U version, or the 3DS version is going to sate a lot of the uh, the people who wanted Smash Bros, and less people will buy the Wii U version. I really, I, I think the 3DS version is going to end up being the big seller overall, even though the Wii U version is better, just because there's more Install people out base. there. With, with, yeah. yeah, exactly, with the 3DS. All right. Bigger stages not found in the 3DS version will be in the Wii U, such as Temple and Big Battlefield. No way. <laughs> uh, danger Zones. By the way, a lot of, some of the 3DS stages suck. Yeah, I'm a little mixed on the 3DS stages, if you want to talk about that for a second. Uh, a lot of yeah. them seem to have stage hazards that are annoying. Uh, yeah. I like to play tournament rules, and it seems like in this game they just figured tournament players would only play on the Omega or Final Destination version of the stages. And I don't know any tournament that only allows for Final Destination. There's usually some other stages mixed in there, so playing online for glory like that, it kind of gets annoying. Because I feel like some characters have an advantage on the Final Destination stage, and they'd kind of be weaker if they're platforms. Yeah. Number five, danger zones are part of stages that will give damage if touched. Players who have over 100% damage will be instantly KO if they uh, come into contact with them. Uh, all right, it's, we don't have to talk big about this, but we should talk about it a little because it's such a new feature. Uh, it's interesting that they're adding a new way to die in Smash Bros. There you go. 
Uh, number six, jungle hijink stage from DKCR will allow two different planes for gameplay, much like DKCR has. That is a cool idea. Uh, number seven, more stages not found in the 3DS version will be represented in the Wii U version. Stages such as Pilot Wings, Onet, Norfair, and Wrecking Crew, which I am super excited for, and Luigi's Mansion were shown. Yeah, I mean, they didn't, I don't think we saw too much of that stage. We saw a little bit, but we only saw I'm a kind tiny. Of excited hit. that, yeah, I'm yeah. kind of excited to see a Wrecking Crew stage for such a game that isn't really known by many people. If they're coming up with NES characters to put back in Super Smash Bros. Five, outside of Excite Biker. I think Foreman Spike would be a really cool idea as a guy to bring back. Could be. I mean, and, and then a lot of people also think it's not official that Foreman Spike is, like, the character that they based Wario and Waluigi on, so... It would be... Right, but they brought Pauline back, too. And he, she was basically proto-Peach. And Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Amiiver stage is coming. It will display messages during battle. Uh, similar to Codex discussions between Snake and his crew in Brawl, Palutena will be able to guide Pit in the Wii U version by talking about his opponents. The Star Fox team will also have similar discussions whenever F Fox or Falco are in play. I'm glad the voice actors for Star Fox characters are still getting work. I'm, I'm pretty excited for the uh, Kid Icarus ones because I thought that game was hilarious. I love the dialogue in that, so I'm glad we're going to be getting a little bit more in Smash Brothers. But it's kind of weird that it's being done in the Wii U version. They should have did this in the 3DS version and then Star Fox in the Wii U version. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Metal Face really, from Z. Yeah, doesn't really bother me either way. But I'm just glad we're getting it. Bottom line. Sure. Metal Face from Xenoblade will be popping up in the Gower Plane stage. Eleven! Ridley confirmed! Ridley from Metroid will appear in the Pyrosphere stage. Inspired by Metroid Other M, befriend Ridley and he will be able to join your side, defeat him, and he'll earn you one point when it's time to, to tally wins. Smash! Because the way they modeled Ridley is so fucking good. Like, they made him bigger than all the other characters, but in a way where he's not bigger enough that he couldn't be a Smash Bros. character. I feel like the Ridley they did that was like twice the size of Bowser could work as a Smash Bros. character if they did it carefully. I mean, I don't think Ridley's going to be a character. I didn't think he was going to be a character in this game. I mean, he was kind of teased as a stage boss in yeah. the past Direct, and people kept hanging on to the hope that Ridley's going to be playable, and I never really believed that, but I kind of like how they're teasing Ridley as being playable as when they show the score, they have that icon of his head show up as being defeated and whatnot. It's kind of like, yeah, we know, but nope. Yeah, Nintendo does a lot of <laughs> playful fuck use to the audience sometimes, don't they? Yeah. Uh, coin battles will be making their return in the Wii U version of Smash Bros. Okay. Stamina battles, in Never which opponents them. battle each other until the loser reaches zero is also returning. In other words, Master Hand Mode. Special Smash allows players to use different sets of options for battles. Stamina battles are a part of Special Smash. Item frequency can be changed. Hoorah! Uh, I do want to smash on that real quick. Um, okay. A lot of people I've talked to are kind of upset that there is no item frequency in the 3DS version, but I really think it's a hardware limitation thing, which is why it's not on that version. 
just the fact of making it. Well, I I could see how they would make it uh, all items or no items, but you think there would be issues if it was like sometimes this would show up and often this would show up and always this would show up. You think the 3DS wouldn't handle that? Well, I, I never think the item switch was that in depth. It was just kind of like high, medium, low, or maybe some spots in between. Yeah, and spots in between maybe. Like, but I don't think the 3DS could have handled more than what was already at, at the normal setting. So. It'd probably be normal or low, and that's about it. So it would kind of be look kind of lame, I think. Right. M- my music allows players to change the frequency in which music plays in each stage. Uh, smash on that very quickly, just to say that this is one of the times in the direct when Nintendo made a direct fuck you to the 3DS version, which is when they said the 3DS version has some songs, but the Wii U version has so many songs that it's not even comparable. <laughs> they use that phrase. It's not even comparable. And then you just saw the blue bar of Wii U songs just slowly grow past the 3DS version. That, that was a pretty good moment. Didn't um, they say something like mm-hmm. it would take 20 CDs to fit all this music on or something like that? Which is Which kind of makes the Club Nintendo thing not a great sell. I mean, we're going we're gonna to get it anyways because we're getting both versions. But it... it Putting it like that makes the Club Nintendo thing look bad. I know, I mean, but they also called it a soundtrack sampler, so I never really expected too much out of that to begin with. By the end of next month, there will be ways to get the entire sma- uh, soundtrack for Super Smash Bros. on Wii U. If <laughs> if you really want to. Uh, <laughs> menu music can be changed as well. There will be a ton more music in Smash Bros. for Wii U than the 3DS version, like we just touched on. The number of composers have increased as well. CDs can be picked up during gameplay that will unlock new songs. Was this in a previous Smash Bros. before? Yeah, I'm pretty sure in Brawl you could do the same thing. Okay, so they could be picked up like trophies? Yeah, you'd find them. Okay. Pick them up and they'd be added to your list. Number 21, challenges seen in the 3DS game, will be in the Wii U version as well. The difference is that there will be a single challenge screen for the Wii U mode. Challenge, okay. And the challenges was the Kid Icarus style uh, glass smashing thing, right? Yeah, and they also did that in Brawl too. Right. Okay, so that's coming back, and that'll be one screen. Classic mode is a bit different than the 3DS version. The intensity option is intact, but the types of battles you'll come across are different. Eight-player modes were shown during this factoid. Um, I guess we could smash this, because it seems like they're making classic mode less uh, of a priority than it was in past games. It seems like it's just becoming one more alternative mode in the big package. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a problem with that. Uh, I kind of like the shorter classic mode, especially now that there's... Practically, there's like 51 characters, I think, if you count the me fighters. Three you have to play yeah. through classic mode with to actually to get everything, so it becomes tedious. I've played through classic way too much to get those trophies. The good thing, though, is that if you play on 0.0 intensity, I think I was beating around a classic mode like every seven minutes. Yeah, but then you're not going to be unlocking as many characters. Uh, no, not characters, the, uh, the wrench, custom parts, and what? Oh so yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, movies will be shown highlighting characters that beat classic mode. Cool, they did this in past Smash Bros. games. 
24. All-Star mode is here. The difference is that the newer characters will be first to challenge you, then the older characters will arrive as you defeat more fighters. The rest area has also been revamped. All-Star mode is slightly better. 25. Event mode is back, which is one of my biggest complaints about the 3DS version. And there will be themed battles based on different franchises that can be completed in easy, medium, or hard difficulties. Smash, because this event mode looks way better than Brawl's event mode and uh, Melee's event mode. It does look exciting. Uh, one thing I am concerned about is they showed two-player events. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to find another player to play with me that's skilled enough to actually complete all those. So that could be a roadblock. In my smashing. Right. Um, yeah. I think one of the problems with... Well, one of the good things about that, actually, is that it seems like it's completely packed with events this time. It looks like there's going to be more than 50, though that's just a guess. Because, like, there's a lot of times when the branches would split where you could either choose this event or this event or this event. So it seems like the numbers would build up really fast of how many events are in the game. 26. Smash Tour is a new board game mode. Spin to advance the board. Those whose spaces you come across will end up in battle. You'll be able to use the same items found in Smash Run in order to power up your me, who you will be using in this mode. Use all of the items and boosts for a final battle. Smash, this mode didn't look that great to me. I, it didn't seem like something I really wanted to do. Uh, I'd say that, but one thing I'm looking forward to is a feature I wanted to add, added to Smash Brothers for a while. It seems like you collect different fighters as you go around the board, and then in the final battle you use each fighter for its own your own stock. So as one fighter dies, you then switch to the next one you collected, I think. And yeah. I kind of wanted a stock mode added to Smash Brothers where you can pick multiple characters for each stock. I thought that would be fun, but... That would be incredible for the finals of, like, a tournament to have all, maybe not all 40, but just, like, the dream is all 51 <laughs> characters that you just go down the list and whoever runs out first is the winner. Because there will be times when you hit characters that you're awful at and then there, you'll hit your main once in a while, too. Yeah, I think it would be a lot of fun to have a mode like that. So this this may be showing that it's possible and it might be tucked into the game in some way, so I'm hoping there's a way to do that in the final version. Target Blast in the Wii U game is different in that the second bomb is bigger, as well as there being three different stages for each fighter. Multiplayer stadium modes, such as Multi-Man Smash and Co-op Home Run mode, are represented. 29. Special Orders mode is revealed. Master Orders is receiving awards based on difficulty battles. Uh, gold tickets can be found here used for Crazy Orders which you fight enemies and collect prizes until you're ready to face Crazy Hand. All rewards are earned upon beating Crazy Hand. This is probably when I started realizing that some of these modes weren't as exciting as I would hope. Because we know all of the characters in the game already. We know how to unlock every single one, and unlocking the characters a second time around will not be that exciting outside of maybe hearing the siren once or twice. So... Seeing something like Special Orders and seeing the event mode return, I'm not saying those are bad, but it would have been better if there was a character hidden behind those modes that I could play them to unlock, or at least one really super cool unlockable. And I'm not saying there won't be something like that, but I'm less hyped for this Master and uh, Crazy Orders now that there's not much reason to play other than for the fun of it. Yeah, I'm not too excited either, only because... 
I've basically unlocked almost everything in the 3DS version, so a lot of the prizes they showed were the same things I already have, except for equipment, which is impossible to collect at all because there's so many variables. So I don't really know what reward other than gold I'd get for going through these. Number 30. Master Fortress is the newest ha- the newest form of Master Core. This is for more intense difficulties only. 31. Tons of controller options are available. GameCube, Wii Remote Plus, Nunchuck, Wii Classic Controller, Classic Controller Pro, and the Wii U Pro Controller are available control options. So is the gamepad not playable? No, the gamepad a- is also an option. But, okay. It's just not listed here, I guess. Do we know if there is two gamepad play? They said maximum number of gamepads is one. Okay. I'm looking at the list right now. Yeah, so maximum number of gamepads is one. Wii Remotes and Wii Remote Pluses and anything that plugs into that is seven. Up to seven Wii U Pro controllers and eight GameCube controllers are possible with two adapters. And you could use up to eight 3DS systems as long as each one has a copy of the 3DS game in it. You gotta wonder if lag's going to be an issue with so many wireless controllers plugged into the system. Yeah, I have no idea. It's something that should be tested out, but I think most people who are serious about Smash are gonna be using those GameCube controllers. Yeah. 32, two GameCube controllers, uh, excuse me, two GameCube controller adapters can be used on the same Wii U, we talked about that. 33, you'll be able to use the 3DS as a controller for Smash Bros. Wii U as well. Uh, 34, you can connect the 3DS Smash Bros. game to the Wii U game. Custom characters as well as Miis can be transferred. 35, tons of trophies will be in the game. More than ever before. Okay. That is cool. I hope the trophy mode is a little closer to the one in Melee and Brawl. Because for some reason, going down a conventional, like, just, just that weird 3DS list is a lot less exciting and, like doesn't beg to be adventured as much as the Melee and Brawl trophy lists were. That's one thing I haven't explored too much in the 3DS version. I've unlocked all these trophies, but I'm missing two that require the hats. I'm missing two unlocks. And once I get all the trophies, I was just going to like go through all of them and just spend like a day reading every one of them. So. Have you smashed all the glass boxes yet? Uh, I, miss- I have one box left. I'm not using any hammers. And that last box is collect all the custom moves in the game, as well as me clothing and me headgear. And the headgear is all I'm missing. Why aren't you using hammers? Is that just for the fun of it? It's for the fun of it, and I mean, at this point, I'm going to need those hats anyway. So, mm-hmm. breaking the glass is just wasting a hammer. I want to be able to say, I did it without any hammers, it was all me. Without spoiling, do you know if there's a reward for smashing all of the boxes? I think the final trophy is given to you for completing every challenge. Okay. Which one were we on? Final Smash trophies will... uh, Excuse me. Final Smash trophies can be unlocked after clearing all-star mode with a character. 37 trophy boxes can be used to display trophies according to a certain theme. 38. Photo Studio allows figurines to be put in dioramas for picture-taking. Photo Studio is a super cool mode. 
and it is kind of like an answer to what's been happening on a lot of PlayStation 4 games, which is a photo mode that allows you to switch the camera angles on a lot of things and allows you to take pictures from lots of angles and structure things differently. It's a tool that's been in uh, Gary's Mod for a very long time. And the ones Nintendo showed off for Smash Bros. looked really cool. Specifically, the one where there were two Pokemon trainers, each using Donkey Kong as their Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, a lot of fun yeah. pictures will come out of this mode and be put online. I mean, you've seen Sakurai already having fun taking pictures in-game with the whole daily picture thing. Some of those are pretty humorous, and I think it's going to get even more funny once it gets in the hands of fans who aren't limited by trying to be politically correct and all that stuff. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be fun times on the internet. There are going to be some vulgar pictures exactly coming out Exactly what I'm thinking. 39. Trophy Rush can be played with two characters. 40. Masterpieces are back in which you can play short demo versions of older games starring Smash Fighters. Uh, Super Mario Bros., Dr. Mario, Earthbound, and Punch-Out are just some of them. Earthbound and I love, this time. <laughs> I love that they structured this as, you should see how long you can play without the clock running out each time, as if this was a real genuine mode and not some ad. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, I, th I do think it's cool, though, especially for people that have never played these games. I'm sure there's a lot of younger players that don't know who a lot of these characters are much about their history so I do like the fact that it's in there it is just a glorified ad though and I am excited that Earthbound is actually in the North American version this time if you remember when Brawl came out it was missing in the North American version of Smash Brothers Brawl so Nintendo's come around a little bit and I'll admit it's kind of a little charming to see it come back it, it like it brings back a little bit of Brawl nostalgia even if you hated Brawl there, there's a little fuzzy part of your heart that uh, goes off when you hear, when you see the masterpieces are coming back. 41. Amiibos will be in the game. You can play as them and also fight against them. 42. The Wii LAN adapter will be compatible with the Wii U. Sweet Jesus. Does Nintendo still sell that thing? I'm going to discover that as we talk about... Uh... I, I, I really don't think it's available, but definitely look into that. 43, automatic notifications are here for the latest Smash Bros. updates. 44, the With Anyone Online features will feature two-player co-op. Smash. Okay. Uh, I'm, it's, they said it's going to feature two-player co-op, but I'm just wondering why you can't do that in the For Glory mode. And they made it seem like you wouldn't be able to connect with a friend online to do that, which is something I'm a little disappointed with in the 3DS version, and if they keep it up, the Wii U version as well. I want to be able to team up with friends who aren't in the room with me to face two other people in like a tournament-style mode. I think that would be fun. It is a little weird that they're limiting this. Yeah. It, it's because, like... Some people want to play co-op for tournaments sometimes. Some people want to play for glory with people sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's, one of the problems yeah. I've had with two-on-two -two matches is only one of my friends is, like, really good at Smash Brothers, I'd say. Maybe two or three, and it's not like you're going to be able to practice two-on-two -two easily in that type of situation in past Smash games. And with the online feature, it would be a good way to actually get into the two-on-two -two tournament type of setting, since there's more opponents you can connect with in... They're not really doing it too much, it looks like. If they get aggressive with the patching, like I hope they will, not too oh, aggressive, yeah. they'll 
changes the game, but aggressive enough patching for uh, that's expected of a respectable fighting or fighting-ish game. This seems like something they will eventually patch in. I hope to, so. Uh, I really do. For glory mode. 45. Torny mode will not be used, will not be in the initial uh, re- release. Will not be in the initial release, but it's coming. Good. I'm very excited that... about this, man. Yes. Yeah, and I think the best news out of this is they said it would be possible to view past matches in the tournament mode after they've taken place. So I think NWR will probably be hosting some tournaments down the line, and maybe somebody with a recording device can just check out that tournament and record all the matches and put them on YouTube or something. That would be good. I kind of wish they brought Mario Kart TV or something like Mario Kart TV back for this. Because there are ways you could at least figure out, okay, let's cut the last ten seconds and, like, the five seconds following each KO, and we'll see if they want to loop that together. It would require a lot more customization uh, on the player's part, like which parts of the match they would want to show off in their highlight reel. But I'm surprised there's no basic capture mechanism for Miiverse for this. Um, Okay, so the Wii Land Adapter. I looked this up. And on Amazon, there are third-party sellers selling them, 19 left, at $43. And at GameStop, they are tentatively, kind of, sort of, offering the Wii Land Adapter used for like 11 bucks, but it's not in stock online. Is Nintendo selling it on their online store? Do you know? Uh, I will find that out now. 46, 64-man tournaments are coming as well. Cool. 47, the gamepad will display damage taken during battle. Talk about that for the next minute. Well, I'm not too excited about the gamepad displaying the damage taken. Uh, I don't think it's very convenient for most people, especially if you're playing 8-player. I mean, it's just going to be easier to look at the TV to see what the damage percentages are. Just having to look down at the gamepad, I think, is going to be a distraction when you have a giant-ass TV. So, I don't know how many people are really going to take advantage of this feature. The game... The gamepad could be used in more interesting ways, I think, but... Alright, I, I was just I was just having you fill time. I know neither of us give a shit about that. But I, uh, I went to the Nintendo online store, and I looked up, in quotes, Wii LAN, and nothing came up. Yeah. That's bad. Yup! I don't know why Nintendo's advertising it, basically, if they're not going to make it readily available. I think they're basically telling us everything different that's in the Wii U version of the game. I don't think there's, there are going to be many secrets left outside of what the trophies specifically are, uh, what the new things supposedly are. I think this I think this Wii Lane adapter business proves that there won't be many more than 53 new things. That is what I think. 48! Well, maybe DLC down the line, but we'll get to that. <laughs> We will surely get to that. 48, you can pause the screen with the gamepad to take pictures. Decorate the pictures taken with the gamepad for a fun time. It's another mode that could be fun once it hits the internet. Right, it seems like uh, supplemental to the previous uh, photo mode that we talked about. 49, the microphone will be able to be used before and after battles. It will not be available during battles for stability purposes. That sounds reasonable. I just hope that 
we're not on Nintendo's clock for how long we can use the microphone. We should be able to choose, okay, now we're done talking, now we can get into the match. Not, the microphone is active for eight seconds, and then, oops, it's match time. I'm already prepared to connect my phone to Skype and just plug a headset into that and talk to people through there, because that's what I've been doing on the 3DS version when I play Friends Online, and I really don't like the limitations being put in place here. I wish I could just talk to my friends during the match. Hearing their reaction I've, is part of their fun, in my opinion. I think the online... I think they're being very careful with the online. I think they're doing everything in their power to keep it as stable as possible. Because they know that since Brawl, they have something to prove. Yeah, that's part of it too. And they really do have something to prove because Brawl was a disaster online. Yeah. 50... Stage Builder Mode is an actual Stage Builder Mode this time, and you can actually build stages. Smash? Yeah, Smash. Because it's cool. I think we're going to see some great artistic creations in this mode. And I think they said there would uh, eventually be a way to share those stages. Eventually. I think we'll be... uh... Here's some extra... Okay, 51... You will be able to share stages with other characters online. So there you go. It's down the line. I think this is going to be one of the first big updates for the game. One of my concerns with this mode is, in Brawl, it seemed like the ceilings and floor were huge. Like, you really have to knock someone off the stage to actually get a KO on the custom stages. So I'm hoping there's a way to control the blast zones or edit the blast zones this time around to really make the stage feel more like a traditional stage as opposed to one that was clearly made in the stage builder. And we haven't seen exactly what tools we're going to be able to use exactly. yet. But it seems like it's at the very least going to be way better than it was in Brawl. It has to be. <laughs> 53. Actually, no, excuse me, 52. Movies will have its own section for you to enjoy, including the intro videos and movies you unlock after clearing classic mode. That'll be cool for a few minutes, because like... When I'm done playing Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and I'm just dicking around, it'll be fun to see some of those reveal trailers again. Like, the Villager one was super good. Yeah, they also had this mode in Brawl, if I'm not mistaken, and I really like that. It's kind of not only giving the fans cool videos to watch, it's also for the people who have been following this game since it's been announced, since they've been showing the trailers, and even looking at the old videos in Brawl is kind of nostalgic at this point, so having that in there kind of cements the Smash Brothers history on disc, and I'm a real fan of that. 53. A special soundtrack is available to Club Nintendo members who purchase both the Wii U and 3DS titles. There will be two discs. The blue disc will feature music from the Wii U game, while a red CD will have music from the 3DS version. Nice. Uh, And then we can talk about what we pretty much were most excited to talk about from the very beginning, which is Mewtwo's coming back. Mewtwo's coming back next spring. His character model looks like straight-up classic Mewtwo. I wonder how they're going to incorporate both Mewtwo X and Mewtwo Y. I've heard some people speculating that the 3DS and Wii U version will each give them a different Final Smash. I'm hoping once you get the final smash, you can pick between one or the other, and each could have different abilities. Yeah, I I hope... They better both be represented, because we know the final smash is going to have the X and Y representation. I just hope they find some way to represent both. Yeah, and you know I'm really excited for Mewtwo, because Mewtwo's my favorite Pokemon. I was so 
pissed off he was at in Brawl. And if you remember back at that round table for Pokemon X and Y at E3 2013, I specifically asked about you two appearing in this game, so I'm hyped. YouTube's so in the comments back. section, in the comments <laughs> section, everyone who listens to this and is excited about Mewtwo is obligated to say, thank you, Justin. Yeah, it, you it's really, really, really up, all up to me. I convinced Sakurai to put Mewtwo in. He made in the his... character himself. <laughs> yep. I was like, Sakurai, you gotta do it. People are gonna hate you. He's like, really? People still like Mewtwo? I thought they liked Lucario more. And I shook my head. And that's actually not what happened, so don't quote me we're going to run a news story tomorrow. <laughs> Justin Barubi made Mewtwo. Go ahead, do it. Uh, this is cool. I wonder if he's going to be what Dr. Mario is to Mario. I think that's what Mewtwo might end up being to Lucario. Which, by the way, is what Lucario originally was to Mewtwo. I'm going so I'm, I'm to disagree to with you there, because Mewtwo had a lot of tail attacks and whatnot. Lucario was very different. I mean, the neutral B attack was similar. And he may have had one I would other at least call it. I would at least call it similar to the Ganondorf Captain Falcon split. I think it's very different between those, but well, I, I guess in this game I might make that argument because Ganondorf and Captain Falcon are way different in this game than they were in the previous two games, but they still share that same like bruiser DNA. I think that might be the case with Mewtwo and Lucario. I think we're still going to see Mewtwo's charge up move, and I think it's going to look very similar to Lucario's. Yes. Definitely. Now, do you think we'll see other DLC moving forward? Yes. I think we will see other DLC. I don't know what DLC, but there were there was reason to believe in the files of the game that they were preparing for an eShop screen to buy specific DLC from. And I don't think it's just going to be Mewtwo. However, characters take a long time to make. <laughs> they take up to a year which means that this is either going to be a way to prolong the life of the game and keep people talking about Smash Bros. for a very long time, or they already have the DLC characters in development for a launch later next year and early uh, 2016. I'm also thinking they might do it for promotional purposes, so maybe when the new Star Fox is coming out for Wii U, maybe a month before then, Wolf will come out as DLC or something. Wolf would probably be realistic. I kind of want Peppy. I don't see that happening, but... Just just uh, <laughs> the Star Fox power, but with Ganondorf's weight. Who knows what'll happen? It's really hard to say. And maybe, maybe if we're extremely lucky, and I mean more lucky than we can imagine, they'll give us Lucas on time with a Mother 3 North American release on the Wii U Game Boy Advance eShop virtual console stuff. Maybe. I'm calm, I'm saying that now. I'm getting depressed. <laughs> I'm getting actively depressed at you slowly waiting for an announcement that will never come. The best thing you can hope for is Lucas coming out with them continuing to avoid Mother 3 questions. Even if Lucas came out, just imagine the Mother 3 questions. There are going to be some pretty good Mother 3 questions. In fact, they will probably take place by you at the next Nintendo Roundtable at E3 next year. We'll see what happens. Lastly, just to close it out, 
I want to say that I am very excited about the Wii U version. It, this Direct kind of blew me away. It, I did not expect the game to look nearly as good as it ended up looking, and I might have to buy the game immediately, which I did not originally plan to do because I expected it to be the 3DS version 2.0. But no, these are two different games, or at the very least, they might not be Super Smash Bros. 4 and 5, but it might be like Pokemon Diamond is the 3DS version, and Pokemon Platinum is the Wii U version. I think Sakurai described it as two sides of the same coin. Except one side of the coin is much bigger than the other. Well, maybe the bottom half of the coin has been on the ground for a while, maybe it's been scratched up a bit, but the other side is in mint condition. The bottom half (laughs) of the coin is a dime, (laughs) and (laughs) the top half of the coin is a half dollar. Maybe a Sacagawea dollar, but a Sacagawea dollar people actually want. (laughs) You can put that on the box. (laughs) Uh, What about you? Are you more excited for this? I knew you were going to buy both anyway. Yeah, I'm a huge Smash Brothers fan. Uh, It's probably one of my favorite game series, so... I was excited for this game beforehand. I've played the demo at E3. When you had the 3DS and the Wii U version side-by-side, the 3DS version already didn't feel as nice. But actually getting that version in my hand, I've started to like it a lot more. But Nintendo put this Direct out, and I'm back to that feeling of I cannot freaking wait for the Wii U version of this game. I'm probably going to play the hell out of it. If the online mode is as good as it's looking even though it could use some improvements, I will be spending a lot of time on there playing Smash, because once I start playing Smash, it, I get addicted. It's one of the few games out there that I can never put down, so whenever I start it up, I really have to think, do I have time to sit here and start playing? And it's under a month away. It's releasing just in time for Thanksgiving break. Pretty much yeah. perfectly, in fact. It's going to be a crazy day for Nintendo when you put everything together, because Smash Brothers is coming out, the adapters coming out, the GameCube controllers are coming out, Amiibo is launching, and on top of that, the new Pokemon games are coming out, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. So, for Nintendo, it's going to be a huge launch day for not only Smash Brothers, for their Amiibo line and Pokemon, so they're going to be raking in a ton of money come November 21st. And that'll do it. Thank you for joining me for a segment about the latest Wii U Smash Brothers Nintendo Direct, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me, and if you ever want to talk Smash again, I'll be here. And that'll do it. If you want to talk Smash even more, if you have anything to say to Connectivity, hit us up at connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. That'll be all, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Later. Thought we all shed common threads And that we gravitated here to challenge Division we've been fed By cultures actually creatures like machines And if you buy that shit Then how long till it's me Who serves as your commodity Through institutionalized Violence and oppression Of workers Women raped by sexism Yeah, then we can go together.
consider someone else? Hello, everyone, and welcome to this segment of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Today, we have a, a full uh, segment here. Uh, I am with Zach Miller. Yo, yo! <laughs> <laughs> Neil Ronahan. Hi! Uh, Kimberly Keller. Hello. <laughs> and uh, Becky... It's holiday, actually. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, weird, wow. weird spelling. Sorry, it's Dutch. <laughs> I never knew that that was pronounced holiday. That's also related to Doc Holiday. I am. <laughs> yeah. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. I, as I was saying, I was like, I guess I've never had to like say your last name yeah. on a podcast before. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so this segment is going to be about Gamergate. That's right. We're doing it. Um, it's, it's gonna been be going a on for like, Let's yeah, go. it's been going on for like two months now, you know, more or less, and we haven't really said too much about it. Um, I think we probably all tweeted somewhat about it here or there, most of us anyway. Uh, but last week I wrote a, a little article about my views on it, so I, I'm not gonna spend too much talking about um how I feel about everything myself. You can read my article on Nintendo World Report. but I wanted to give uh you know a good portion of the, the staff here a chance to talk about it, and I especially wanted to include. Um, Kim and Becky, because as you know, if I think you've been following this at all, there's been, I, I don't want to say it's like the, and I wouldn't say that it's like the sole uh, purpose of Gamergate, but I do think there's like sort of this undercurrent and this small minority of people, at least in my opinion, that are using it to sort of push out women or attack women uh, in games. Uh, yeah, I mean, femi- feminists especially. Yeah, there's a whole lot of kind of, I guess, intricacies to all of this mayhem and nonsense. I think that's kind of the best way to put it. Um, you know, it all started, I, I think a lot of us have probably already heard about all the, the crap that happened with Zoe Quinn, um, which is, uh, she's a game developer, she made the Depression Quest, which, um, is a pretty damn useful tool, uh, and, a, and an interesting thing, uh, and then apparently she had, uh, sexual things that happened that weren't that very, weren't good to the man that she was with, uh, and then he wrote about them in a blog, like a like a bitter ex boyfriend, and then that kind of blew up. <laughs> yeah, it kind of blew up that like supposedly she slept. I mean, I guess it's it's not even the point to say she had a relationship with a writer at Kotaku, who supposedly, according to people that were saying all these bad things about her, reviewed Depression Quest, which in reality he mentioned Depression Quest in an article about some kind of indie game event that Depression Quest was at, and that that was it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then that kind of all went to up Shit's Creek, and Zoe Quinn got a lot of death threats and has basically lived a pretty shitty life for the past two months. <laughs> and that was around the time when uh, everyone's favorite character from Firefly, Jane, um, the actor <laughs> Adam Baldwin, came in and linked to a... And also, um, I guess it goes... There might be some explanation needed in that Adam Baldwin, the the actor, who he was in Chuck, uh, he was in Firefly. Uh, he's super, super conservative. Um, I know super that I, I don't know I don't know if anyone else had heard about how fucking crazy conservative he is, but I've heard about it in the past. And then he tweeted about uh, the stuff with Zoe Quinn, linking to the video that I think had naked pictures of her in it potentially, um, and then said hashtag Gamergate, and that's. Where the term Gamergate came from. Um, as far as I know, that there there are kind of two two factions in Gamergate, if you will, at least two primary things. 
there is there is a part of it where people kind of took that name Gamergate and took it as a way of kind of going against the corruption or supposed corruption, depending on how you feel about it, in games journalism. Um, between, you know, games journalists and developers being very friendly. And at least in my opinion, I, I think that's something that is kind of a little bit of a problem. I think some of the stuff, and we'll, we'll get into more detail about that uh, probably more near the end, um, but there's some valid concerns that were raised. And then there's the portion, whether it's big or small, where they just decided to attack women. Uh, whether it's, you know, threatening Anita Sarkeesian, uh, staging a, or threatening a school shooting at a college in Utah that Classy. Anita Sarkeesian was supposed to be speaking at, which is fucking bonkers. And then or, the, the school would not... Uh, well, that, that was know, a Utah if, state law. I know it's a Utah that, state law, yeah, but it's, it's horse sake, shit, you know what I'm saying? It, it's total horseshit, but, like, that's that's not, like... I mean, that's, like, kind of dumb, but that's the law. I mean, yeah, you would think if there was law. a threat, a legitimate threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of right, You'd think there'd be some kind of clause, like, okay, if you've threatened to, like, stage a shooting, then we won't allow guns. Like, yeah. how... That just seems so... Like, <laughs> so yeah. check, check your gun at the door for this one freaking thing. <laughs> well, the funny yeah. thing is, um, and this is, this is kind of a little bit of a side note on that, but I noticed I was in uh, Wisconsin for a Packer game last weekend, and there were signs yeah. everywhere being like, don't bring your gun in here, gun's not allowed in here. Yeah. And it really took me aback because I've never seen signs like that before. But then uh, someone someone that I was with pointed out that, like, oh, it's probably because they have uh, concealed carry laws. And yeah. they're saying, like, you can't go to the Miller Lite Brewery Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot a of places with concealed carry laws will ha- like they allow people to post things like that that won't allow you yeah. even if you have a permit to walk in the premises with yeah. a, with a gun. So it's kind Where'd of think, strange that that wouldn't come up with the school. It's actually like with concealed carry laws, you are not allowed to bring them on school premises. I don't know if that pertains to colleges, but it definitely pertains to the rest of school grounds. Like it's not okay any school whether they have it posted or not. Yeah, so that was weird. I don't know if the like the uh, speech was supposed to be like maybe it was off site, you know, like maybe it was at a separate facility that the that the school was just hosting. I don't know, but yeah, that was really peculiar. So yeah, I mean that that's kind of really where we're at. Um, and I want to say before we really dive into this, I, I'm assuming and not even just assuming, I, I think I pretty much know that we have listeners who support GamerGate, and that's fine. And I don't want anyone to like listen to this and think that we're making broad generalizations or, or targeting anyone. Um, I think if you listen to this podcast, you can kind of give us the benefit of the doubt here. I think we've been uh, pretty open when it comes to pretty much everything. So I would hope no one, you know, thinks that we're casting judgments. Um, we're just kind of talking about our experiences with it so far and what we've observed. And um, there, is yeah. one, there is one thing that I kind of want to say in relation to, you know, the people who support Gamergate. Um, if you're not one of the people who, like, wish harm upon women... Then uh you know still fight for what you what you what your version of Gamergate is, but maybe don't use the name anymore, because that name is toxic. Right, name's not just toxic, but it's it's conflating two separate issues. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like by all means, if you if you think that there's an issue with you know like the games press being too close to developers and stuff like that. You know, keep keep beating that drum because that's the only way that that stuff like that will ever kind of get called out and and changed. Um, because in all honesty, as, as someone that's very involved with it, I I see a lot of stuff where it seems like you know some guys in the press and some developers are getting a little too buddy buddy, mm-hmm. and there's a little kind of yeah. like glad handing, and mm-hmm. then you then you see some of those people move on to jobs at those companies, and yeah, 
well, I, I know some of those people that have done that jump, and I know that there there isn't any impropriety there, but from the outside, it doesn't look that good. Right. <laughs> right. And and I'd like to, you know, on to Neil's point a little bit, uh, seriously condemn the people on social media who are threatening anybody. I mean, women, but anybody. I mean, nobody should have to go through that. And, uh, you know, those people need to fall in the well and die. There's just no <laughs> no call for any of that crap. I mean, I was going to say don't go to our website, but <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess your way is kind of better. I don't know. You're like, I see your threat, and I will raise you one threat, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. I know. I know. So well, let's jump. I want I want to start with um, Kim and Becky. I mean, you guys could talk together, or you could take turns. However, you want to do it. But I, I'm most interested because I don't I don't see the two of you as active on social media. So I'm I'm very curious about like what your impressions have been about this over the past two months. Um, and just yeah, I mean, what what? How do you guys feel about sort of the climate around video games right now? Well, frankly, it's a little terrifying that some people are seem to be so afraid of. Like, some people really, really want change. Obviously, we talked about, like, the two different sides to it. And some people are really, that's what it means to them, is fighting for change in the gaming industry. And with that, obviously, comes the role of women in video games, because there have been multiple people pointing out for a long time that that role hasn't really changed in a long time. But to some people, that kind of change isn't acceptable. So it's really kind of interesting to just hear and scary to hear what people say about it you know this change being okay but oh dear god if we make women you know not wallpaper in the background of a video game is just kind of how archaic is that kind of thinking that mm-hmm. so many people latch on to that is actually frightening as a woman who likes video games a lot yeah. <laughs> now now becky and kim you, you i mean kim this was your second e3 and becky this was your first with us this past year um as far as, I mean, just kind of interacting with the industry at E3, like, did you have any kind of, I guess, bad experiences, or was it mostly mostly pretty good? Um, I feel mostly pretty good. It wasn't like there was any large, you know, thing that happened where it was like, oh my gosh. But there was a lot of small things um, yeah. where, you know, people wouldn't think, I know how to use a game controller. <laughs> things or, like that, where you're like... Yeah, I, I I've just... seen that happen a lot. Or there'd be a demo where where somebody would not actually, like, pay attention to us because they would just think, oh, they're just here with a friend. And it's like, no, no, we're actually here for a purpose. Trust me. Right, covering these games, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I, like, remember, you know, the one time there was a player right in front of me. He didn't say anything, but, like, the demo person immediately put them on advanced mode. And when I stepped up, they immediately put me on easy Mm -hmm. um, and then started explaining everything, even though there's a big old plaque with all the controls right there yeah, I, I can i can read your picture right there i'm fine buddy good job <laughs> you know and things like that are where they try to direct you towards certain games if it's a booth that has a lot of different types of games they'll always try to direct me towards like dating simulation and, and cooking mama and I'm like, and... yeah and i'm like no actually i wanted that shooter that looks way more fun than staring at a farm for a couple hours <laughs> hey don't be dissing yeah, farms I mean, well that's why you don't go near the farming simulator 15 booth ever. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Um, but yeah, it was always small things like that, or, I mean, and once again, it was on occasion, because definitely E3, since it's not as open to the public, most people know you're there for gaming, it's just whether, how serious they think you are about it. Um, I have had people where you're way in line, you're just chatting, when they find out that I'm actually covering the games, um, they'll start quizzing me, 
and trying to see if I'm actually a true, like, quote-unquote <gasps> gamer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and things like that where I'm like, I don't think you do that to other people you're talking to. Why do I have to prove myself? I mean, I have the yeah. badge. It says right there what I am. Um, but, yeah, it's things like that where it just kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth where you're like, okay, that wasn't super overtly wrong, but that's a little, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems like there's just a lot of subtle things, and I think that's pervasive you know, with, through the industry and, you know, the, the industry part and also from, you know, the communities that build up around the, the games and websites and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, like, a lot of people who, you know, are the stereotypical, like, hardcore gamer where they're trying to defend, you know, what they believe in. Um, I think a lot of the people, obviously, have, if they're being this, like, I don't know, just so crazy about it and so you know, threatening about it. Obviously, they've had problems in their own personal lives. And I feel like, you know, there's, you know, bullying and stuff when they're probably when they were younger, where they felt victimized and gaming was a source of security for them and a sanctuary that is something really important to them that they're trying to protect. And they don't realize the hypocrisy of how when other people are finding an interest in that too, they're tearing down the walls of safety for that person that they felt in the games. Yeah. And, you know, like, that's what people need to realize is what they're doing to others. Like, they didn't like it when they felt that way. And when mm-hmm. they found comfort in their games and characters, why is it so wrong for others to find their way in that in the same medium? Right. You know, it's I've always found this, like, pushback against, like, Anita Sarkeesian and, and other, uh, you know, feminists sort of uh, trying to bring uh, sort of a new side or, or a more developed Critical side to women eye. characters in games. Yeah. I've always found it weird because, like, I think of something like, uh, like movies, for instance, where you still, I mean, have like the male power fantasy movies. Like, I think of like Avengers, Fast and Furious, Expendables. You know, like yeah. these types of movies are totally like, like quote unquote dude movies. But then in the same breath, like, let's you have, not like, forget something... the Notebook, Scott. <laughs> then, well, yeah. But then on the same breath, like, you have something like Hunger Games, which I know it's based off of a book, so it's not necessarily like, or an Lucy. original film. Um, yeah, or Lucy. Yeah, exactly. Where it's this action-driven movie, but you have like these deep. Uh, interesting female lead characters and like I don't feel like that makes like male viewers panic or you know like it's not replacing a male character that would have otherwise like been right. featured in this movie so I think of games and it's like I don't the games that you love I, I feel like they aren't really going to radically change I think there'll just be new games alongside them that you exactly. know offer a different like view yeah. or representation and like that that's that's what I imagine like things will lead to and I, I don't know where this like total just fear comes from that all these all these games are going to go away and i don't know i don't know if that panic ever happened scott with tv or movies or anything um, it probably has i mean i mean you, it, it might have in the past it. but not to this extent nobody yeah, is, but... you know nobody is sending death threats to scarlett johansson <laughs> right right now it's the fact that comic book movies are kind of taking over everything or just comic books in general i mean there's literally i think starting this week there are uh, four nights a week you can watch a comic book TV show on a major network. Mm-hmm. Uh, all mm-hmm. of the big tentpole movies for the like DC announced ten movies yeah. in like four years. Like, it, it, but it's 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 kind of the other side of things in that it's it's comic books kind of coming into the world of TV and movies. Oh, and I, I understand. I understand your comic book that. angle, but I'm saying the art medium as a whole. Film never went through a period of male dominance to the point of actively shoving women out unless i 
am not remembering that correctly, whereas video games are strangely going through this really awkward, horrible uh, growth phase where, you know, the old guard, I guess, is trying. So it's not even the old guard because I don't think the the average gamer is particularly bothered by Anita Sarkeesian or, you know, women creating games. There's like, oh, great, women creating games. That's that's fantastic. Why not? But you have this really strange, I, I don't understand the mindset of this small subset who are just angry about it. Like, yeah. who cares, I mean, guys? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Going with your film thing, though, is that I think you're not, I don't think you saw it as much, and I'm not, I'm not a film historian, so I might be a little yeah, off Yeah, no, that's with the true. Specifics. I might be off um, as well. But I don't think it was quite with, like, actors and actresses, although it was, I mean, film to this day is still a, a male-dominated industry. I mean, if Definitely. you look at the, the major stars, the guys who make the most money are a bunch of dudes. Sure. Um, but I think more of, of the comparison here is with film directors. Um, I I could be wrong with this, but I think, uh, I, forget, I forget her name, she did The Hurt Locker. I think she was the first female director to win Best Director. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah and right. that was only a couple years ago. I think ago. you're right, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it, film is a much more mature medium, but I think that was that is where that battleground of female directors coming into into prominence. I agree, I agree. Um, but that are was they probably getting where people, they, I mean, they might have. I, I don't well, know. Well, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I going, mean going back... Going back to Anita Sarkeesian, like I, I was a person who, when those videos first came out, when she first started that, I was, I didn't really enjoy that first video that much, and that was all that I watched. Um, and I just kind of was like, yeah, whatever. Like, okay, you know, yeah, there are some issues with video games, but like, why do you got a crap on Spelunky? Um, <laughs> and then, and then with all, with all the, with all the mayhem that went on a couple months ago, I, I kind of went back and was like, you know what, I'm gonna watch a couple of these. And then I realized something that, that I, I very much like that she did at the start of it. She didn't do it in the first episode of, of her series, but she did it in the second one and every other one where she she trumpets in the beginning that just because I'm critiquing these games doesn't mean you can't enjoy them. Right. And yeah. that's the important thing is that you can acknowledge that, you know, there is an issue with Mario always saving Peach or Super Princess Peach is a really messed up game. Because it's like Peach stars in a game, and it's just like, oh, she's PMSing, and now she's got superpowers, and there's an umbrella, and it's crazy. Or um, maybe like, Senran Kagura as a franchise is a horrible thing. Yeah, and like, and like those things can exist, and there are there are major problems with those, but that doesn't invalidate them as you know, Super Princess Peach is actually kind of a fun game, despite all the the kind of messed up set dressing. Yeah, I was gonna um, say I, I have it, and I, I like it. Yeah, it's like, uh, like, just when you when you step back from that game, you're like, "Whoa, come on, guys!" Yeah, and like one of the other worst culprits of you know the damsel in distress trope is the Legend of Zelda series, and I've played nearly yeah. every single one of them. Yeah, sure. so I'm like, I know that, but I love it, and you know, it doesn't really invalidate the popularity of other games just because there's a, there can be an agreement that some things need to change, but other things don't. <laughs> And I, th I think it makes things better. Like, I, I can't, I mean, who knows if at all Nintendo was in influenced by the, the Damsel in Distress video, but having Peach playable in Mario 3D World, like, makes so much sense, and it's so awesome. Um, and, like, yeah. I hope that's that's something that they just continue to do moving forward. Yeah, I definitely I mean, thought it's such, it was like, weird. A simple... It was weird in the Go first ahead. one where, like, there was two toads, and you're like, wait, yeah. Yeah. why yeah. would you do right. two of the same character and ignore the 
prominent female character. That yeah. was weird. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, okay. Right, like, like you would rather have these no-name toads. I mean, they're not even, like... They're not even the main toad. They're they're blue and yellow. <laughs> We're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really weird. And, and Anita Sarkeesian, I mean, I disagree with some of her points, sure, but the, the, she adds nothing but value to the conversation. Yeah. Like, nothing is no, taken no away. There's no hidden agenda with what she's right. doing. It's a discussion that needs to be had. She's not faking death threats because to get right. views. Like, no, Good she's Lord, not doing that. Say that. As I mean, granted, granted, the the shit that I got for the Mario Kart Eight review pales in comparison to anything <laughs> that these people have gotten. But as someone who has gotten a death threat this year, um, <laughs> wow, really? I would not do that for hits ever. And and that was a mild one over the, the review score of a video game. Well, and it's and it's one of those things that's actually really funny about you know people calling for this reform in gaming journalism. They're like, we want more objectivity. We don't want you guys to be buddying up with the developers so that you have a biased opinion. I'm like, but then when we give you an unbiased opinion, sometimes people get attacked over it. Because mm-hmm. when I read that, I yeah. thought immediately back to Neil's review. I was like, oh my god, he got so much flack for point five of a point. You know, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I'm like, I, I mean, I I've had conversations with people where if I give that game an eight out of ten, um, I probably wouldn't have gotten any shit for it. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that I was between the two scores, and then I think I showed my review to Carl Castaneda, and then he's just like, "Dude, go with the seven point five. Your review reads like a seven point five. And I'm like, uh, "All right." Yeah, and it's the fact <laughs> Next that you week, actually, I'm like, Carl, you son of a bitch. <laughs> the fact that you actually were like, "Okay, no, I'm actually going to question this really popular series because as far yeah. as I'm concerned, Nintendo can do better with something that's so long established and that people were not willing to hear it at all." Yeah. It's just like, "Okay, what do you want?" <laughs> yeah, even with the Bayonetta 2 review over at Polygon where they gave it a 7.5 and a lot of their issues were like, hey, this is a really fun game, but it's like, I don't know, it doesn't sit well with me. And that's something where, where people are like trying to start Operation Bayonetta 2 and trying to get Polygon blacklisted by, uh, by Nintendo. Right. Which, which one is bonkers because having had someone who has worked with Nintendo for, for a long time and wrote a, wrote in, uh, I guess a, an outlier review score for a game earlier this year. It's not that they don't care, but as long as you're fair with your review and you state your points, they're not going to blacklist you over that. No. Yeah. I mean, don't give it a yeah, six just... and then be like, oh, I loved this game. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, nothing wrong not with it, way, but I gave it a six. That's not the way games press really works. No. If there's someone who's going to... Okay, yeah. If you, if you do slam a game, then yeah. Developer, PR company's probably not going to be happy with you. But if you're fair about it... Happened to me. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, I mean, probably any of us who have reviewed enough games, you've had more than a few incidents where people are like, "Really, you gave it that?" And I mean, it, it's something where like, even even, dude, it's like, yeah, really, I gave it that. Now go out and enjoy it yourself. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got one person's perspective on it. You know, you you yeah. read everything. Yeah, my thoughts about it, and that's it. That's your springboard for you to decide whether you want to enjoy it for yourself or not. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, like Bayonetta, like that guy was turned off at the cheesecake angle. That is a huge plus for me personally. <laughs> yeah, I like, I, mean, I, don't even, I like the the reviewer at Polygon, uh, Arthur Geese. Like, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of his his writing and his reviews, but I read the Bayonetta two review, and I'm like, yeah, that's probably how I feel. I will feel about that game. Sure. Right, and, there, and there's nothing wrong with like writing to your audience. Like, I mean, I would imagine that most of the Polygon audience would be kind of similar-minded um, as Arthur on the on this point. 
Um, and I mean, even I am, I mean, as, as someone who's married and has a daughter, like, I don't want to be busting out Bayonetta 2 while we're all downstairs hanging out and like see stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, right? Like, like knowing that like is an instant, like, okay, like I don't really want to play this game or if I am going to play it, it's going to have to be like when everyone's sleeping because I'm just going to be embarrassed. Yeah, there um, are games I have like that too. But there, yeah. It's like well, watching Game of Thrones with plenty. your parents. Yeah, yeah, there you oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I feel like there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with writing to your audience. And in fact, like I've, I in college I even took a review writing class. I mean, that was like a big crux. It's nice. like know know your audience and you know write write to them. I mean, you don't you know you don't have to appease everybody. Like, know who's reading your material. Yeah. And so like, I've got no problem with with Arthur's review. I mean, you've got what like. 10 to 15 others that gave it, like, 9s or 10s. Yeah, including I mean, two on our website. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Like, like one outlier. Like, who cares? It doesn't affect you, and it doesn't affect yeah. the game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I personally gave it a high score because I I saw issues in it, but it wasn't affecting my enjoyment of it. Exactly. I mean, my main issue was, I mean, going back to whole, like, the whole feminism, sexism stuff, I didn't like the some of the moments, like, I don't mind a sexy character, but there was moments where you're like, that's not how anyone would react in that situation. When someone, <laughs> right. like, slices off her, like, dress so she's naked, she makes, like, a, a really uh, sexual sound where she's in ecstasy, and you're like, really? Because that guy's trying to kill you. Um, <laughs> if it takes me out of the moment, I have a problem with it. Um, especially when she does an attack where she becomes naked for a split second. And, right. you know, it is, like the Barbie doll kind of naked where you don't see anything, but when you're in this super, like, dark atmospheric level, and all of a sudden you see her bright pink, you're like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, other than that, I enjoyed the game. Um, but I think it's, like, moments like that where it's, like, you know, I'm fine. I'm not trying to say no game can have, like, a sexy character or whatever. Just make it, I don't know, believable. Make it have a point. Yeah, Tomb Raider is a great example. She's a sexy character. She wears clothes that make sense for what she's doing. Um, yeah. And I assume guys, like, really like her. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good assumption. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, to me, I'm... <laughs> I, I don't like that she gets, like, uh, impaled every five minutes and never develops a blood infection. Um, yeah. But, I, uh, I, I do not like the new Tomb Raider. I could not play the new Tomb Raider because it grossed me out. Because... It was this game that took the real, real realistic slant, and this is kind of like my my issue with games. And now we're kind of getting off topic a little bit, uh, but having realistic violence in games in a realish setting really bugs me. Like I can't play Grand Theft new Grand Theft Auto games. I really enjoyed like Grand Theft Auto three, but that was very abstracted. And once you make it more real life, you make it modeled after New York City, and you make the physics real and the characters look real, and then you beat someone to death with a golf club, then, like, no, no, I'm not really into that. And with Tomb Raider, <laughs> yeah. it was, like, I I was so terrified to ever die in that game because <laughs> you would just see the grossest shit ever. It's like, yeah. oh, there she's impaled on a sword, and it's going to linger for, like, a minute and a half. For me, for me, Neil, that would be the difference between Dead or Alive 5 and Senran Kagura. Yeah. There's a layer of abstraction there. Yep. But anyway, back to Game of <laughs> But yeah, but I mean, like, my whole point was, but in terms of, like, her being a, like, sexy character that appeals to male, like, fantasies, it's still believable. Like, she's not doing anything where you're like, why the hell would she do that? Unlike Bayonetta, you know, 2 or 1, where there's moments where you're like, she just enjoys being naked while she's being attacked? I don't understand. Right. <laughs> well, don't you get it? Her hair is a demon? 
No, I think it's like enchanted, yeah, and it opens portals for the demons to come in. She's an number witch. It's right. it's okay. not it's internally consistent in Bayonetta. And they never explain it. Whereas it is it. in it Tomb Raider. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. She just yeah. got that hair. And it it's is her it is a game mechanic, and that is it. Yeah. <laughs> right. You will live with it. <laughs> yeah. It's like that where there's no plausible. Re- okay. Yeah, I know she's a witch. Why am I saying plausible? That's the real world. But in the she's world, fighting of the angels, game, Kim. <laughs> it's real. It's real life. I mean, if I was fighting angels too, all of a sudden my hair would come alive too. It's just a fact of life. Um, yeah. You don't but, know. You've never fought an angel. How, that's true. How would you know until you try? You're like, what? Now I'm covered in my own hair. This is odd. This is very odd. <laughs> this is weird, but I mean, it's very defensive and it's good. <laughs> Except that, you know, split second when I have nothing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as long as, there, as long as there's some sense of, I don't know. If it doesn't take me out of the game, I'm okay with it. Yeah. yeah. So to go back, I guess a little bit to to Gamergate here. Um, although I, I this I think has been a very good conversation up to this point, so I'm happy we we sidestepped a little bit there, sidetracked. I guess I should say. Bef- uh, I guess Kim and Becky, has there? I mean, has there been a point like where your family has talked to you at all about Gamergate? Like I've read things where women in games, like now that it's kind of going really mainstream with like appearing on uh, MSNBC and CNN and stuff like New that. New York Times. Yeah, New York Times had a, yeah, on their, their front page, had a front page story about it. Has there has there been anything like that, like where your family's brought up to you? I mean, I know for us, we're kind of in a unique position because it's like we write about games, but it's really more of a hobby. Um, but has there been anything like that or even anything where, I mean, has there ever been a moment where you guys are like, well, this is kind of freaking me out a little bit? Well, definitely hearing about the the threats against Anita when she was trying to go to Utah was not... I mean, my parents weren't really concerned about me. My parents are too busy following Ebola, so... Um, <laughs> that's true, yeah. That's a big one, yeah. But me personally, I was, like, that was one of the, like, just climactic points in the whole thing is I was like, oh my god, this has gotten really, really serious, you know, to the point where people are actually threatening to shoot totally uninvolved people because mm-hmm. they feel threatened and to me it was just like i suppose it had never really quite hit home before then how vehemently against women in games some people were so mm-hmm. that was just on a personal level very like oh my god are you kidding me yeah i mean same here where my parents haven't totally been super concerned um they know i'd tell them if you know i had any concerns about anything that happened to me but um for me it really hit home when i was at an event um for a game with a bunch of other journalists and we were just talking at dinner and a couple of the female journalists there had received death threats and like that's when it hit home because you read stuff on you know in the news and stuff and different various very you know specific names of people who were affected so you don't think about how many others would be affected who just doesn't make the news um and just the fact that like one of them had left her home because they did um they did doxing on her and they found out where she lived and they mentioned something very specific about her house so she felt the need that you know she couldn't be there for a bit and what triggered it was she literally said a very short blog post where she just said um about you know the whole spider woman um oh gosh drawing um illustration yeah, she, yeah, that's, uh, from she, the porn tracer. Yeah, all she wrote was, is it just me or is there something wrong about this suit? And that's all she wrote. And people just exploded on her. Yeah. And, like, that's when it really hit me. Like, that, Yeah, like, it just hit me, like, that was the moment where I'm like, wow, I could really just say anything. 
Yeah. And it could set if if I say yeah. it in the right forum at the wrong time, it could just lead to insane overkill that I'll just never yeah. see coming. I mean, even with with kind of mentioning this on the website uh, when it first came up, I kind of wanted to ignore it and just see it go away because I was I was afraid for Nintendo World Report. I was afraid for our staff members. Um, and I just kind of wanted to remove ourselves from it because we weren't being directly affected. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of as it's gone on, uh, I mean, part of the reason why we are having something like this podcast segment is that this is something that needs to be addressed and we need to kind of talk about the, the very, the, the very off-putting irrational side of all of this that, you know, we need to talk about. And it is being talked about on a national level that it was on the front page of the New York times last yeah. weekend. Or, or last week. Um, and, and other websites are finally starting to yeah. talk about it. Kotaku put up something today. Polygon put up something, like, last week. Finally. Yeah, Giant Bomb had something last week as well. And and yeah. really, it's it's it kind of seems like, I mean, I, I didn't talk to anybody at those sites, but it seemed like everyone was kind of like, all right, it's time to talk about it. Yeah, they're all kind of saying what you've just said. They were like, we wanted to ignore it. We yeah. didn't, weren't being affected directly, but good God, this is getting out of hand. Yeah. I oh, like yeah. to think that it was it was my post last week on Thursday yeah. that got the ball rolling because everything else came out on Friday, so I'm going to yeah, take that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Carl had a blog post on the site. Almost immediately, yeah. 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 Um, and that was, I mean, that that was part and of the reason. And he got some flack in the comments. Yeah, well, that that was the response to that article is part of the reason why I was like, well, I guess our community isn't really into it. Like we had, I think, uh, I think one guy is a Klex Yoshi who who disagreed yeah, with him, but then been... like, like Carl had a nice back and forth with him in the comments, and it was very civil. So like, props to you, Klex Yoshi. Yeah, yeah. Disagreed with some go. of the things you were saying, but you were very. Well spoken about it. We we have excellent readers. Yeah, and and that's mm-hmm. what. And a lot of the responses to that uh, post that Carl wrote a while ago is people were like, "What what the hell is this? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about." Um, and that's why I kind of went forward and was just like, "Well, I guess we don't really need to cover it." But then it didn't didn't go away. So now we're at a point where you know Scott wrote that article, sent it my way, and we posted it, and now we're talking about it in this very you know deliberate focused segment. I know that the RFN guys kind of touched on it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it was a listener mail question. Um, but yeah, this is this is a very deliberate thing of us talking about it on a podcast for you guys to hear and and hear our thoughts and hear how what's going on as far as we can tell. Um, and it's it's something that like I mean this this is a this is a major issue and hopefully it'll get less crazy now that it's kind of more out in the open and it seems like people are being more educated about what exactly in the hell is going on. Um, I think, I think, you're, you're, I think you're, you're right, Neil, that, um, and I've thought this for a while, uh, the Gamergate label just needs to go away yeah. because it's, yeah. it's the, the ethical journalism thing. That's I'm all for that. I mean, the player one guys have been talking Lord. about that for, they, for years. Yeah. They talk about mm-hmm. it virtually every week to some extent. Yeah. And, um, so it, it is an issue that needs to be constantly hammered home, uh, but the but the movement, if you want to call it that, has been, you know, poisoned by this uh, harassment, um, and you know, I, I think there's no point in continuing with the Gamergate label. Yeah, I mean, there's so many negative connotations surrounding it now that a lot of people they hear Gamergate and like, I think the only the only real reaction I got from any of my friends who didn't really know anything there oh that's the the harassment thing right you know that chick who got all those death threats 
And I'm like, right. that's pretty much what people think of the whole movement now is basically all of the really irrational reactions that have happened as a result of it. So the movement would really just be better served to take place in a different forum, you know, with a different tag and, you know, keep going with it for the people who actually do feel like, you know, ethical journalism is an issue. But it definitely leaving that tag behind would probably be the most beneficial thing for that. Yeah, and I I, I do feel bad for, the, like, the people who really do support Gamergate uh, as a means to improve games uh, journalism, um, especially because, I mean... When you think about it, like, the people who are currently, you know, part of that journalism uh, machine, I guess, if you will, have a means to, like, speak to a lot of people, and they have an audience. And I think having that hashtag and, and having, you know, like, ha- having a banner that you sort of fly under allows you to, like, reach out to other people that you wouldn't otherwise because you don't have that sort of natural audience. So, like, I, I get I get why you want to have, like, this movement with this name, but I, I, I do agree that it's just, I mean, it's... I think it's unfortunate for for those people who don't want to be a part of of these attacks and don't support yeah. them and, and find yeah. them despicable that and, they they want to have this this way to reach out and connect with other like minded people and it's just like it's not it's not working because yeah. of a, yeah. a, of yeah. what I think is a minority that is using it for like terrible terrible things. Yeah, and and to be fair, the label was born out of harassment. It was, yeah, and it's a shame because there's legitimately. There's a points on both sides that are completely legitimate and having a banner helps even, you know, like how the New York Times was covering it. It makes it a global thing that more people will focus on and, you know, and look at both sides. But it's been poisoned with this banner. And people are a lot less willing to listen when you even bring up Gamergate anymore because a lot of the negative connotations that come with it now. You know, they're, you, oh yeah, this. And they're like, oh, you're involved with that. And yeah, yeah. Right, like, most of the arguments I see now on Twitter are just, like, people, say like, anti-gamer gate yeah. people saying that these people support all these terrible things, and then those people saying, well, no, I don't, like, that's not what I'm about, and that's really all I see at this point. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's the whole thing's really grinded to a halt, and, like, nothing's, yeah. nothing's really happening anymore. Yeah. Um, I will say that I, I thought it was really cool when Kotaku did come out almost immediately and said that they would, um either not allow or disclose when their uh the writers like uh funded Patreons. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I thought that was good. Like I, I read so many things from like anti game gamer gate gamer gators, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what the, the term is. Um who were like, Oh, you let them win, like I can't believe this. And see I, I hate yeah. like don't don't think of it as like black and white and like it's us against them. I mean what what's wrong with holding your uh your writers like sort of accountable in that way and not allowing them or at least making it public when they are like basically funding uh you know the creation of games i mean mm-hmm. that that does become yeah. almost a conflict of interest so i thought it was cool that they took that stance mm-hmm. the kind of funny thing about that is uh we when that when that happened when kotaku did that we had a recent situation that uh, a recent game that came out that we at least were faced with that very problem uh with shovel knight because I backed Shovel Knight. Uh, oh, a lot yeah. of other people right. on staff backed Shovel Knight. And I, when we were looking for someone to review that, I was like, no one who backed this game can review this. Uh, and Zach <laughs> had not backed the game. Um, mm-hmm. and, nope. and I mean, like that was the kind of thing. Is that like, yes, I still talked about Shovel Knight. Um, and, I, and I played that game. And that game is fantastic. Um, I'm also, for the most part, with a lot of the stuff that I back. And I think this is part of what Kotaku said. 
and or at least it might not have been exactly what Kotaku said, but I think it's kind of what some other sites might have been okay with, is that, like, if you're backing just to get the game, then, like, that's kosher. Which, yeah. Even that, like, I don't think you can review the game in good conscience if you back it in any no, way. You, no, you... Um, no. But, like, you're, as far as me talking about it... You're going to be predisposed to thinking it's better because yeah, you, you... You put money towards it. But then what happens... But then again, Zach, what happens, like, okay, you put money towards Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance, which, review, probably up by the time you hear this segment. Um, yeah, but I already don't like that game. <laughs> yeah, but you, you used your own money to buy that game. So I because did. you used your own money to buy that game, wouldn't you be predisposed to liking it more? Uh, you would think so in that case. Yeah. But, uh, I know. Yeah, I mean, I maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's a crappy example, but, like, <laughs> does it make a difference whether you give the money towards a game before it comes out? Or after. Yeah. 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 True. Yeah. I mean, we're in like a special situation because sometimes we do have to pay for games. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would think the people that the, you know, the, the journalists that they're going against typically don't have to pay to, to play games at all. Yeah. This is true. Um, I think disclosure is a really good compromise with that simply just because, you know, whether you back the game or not, if they feel like it's still kosher for you to review it, I mean, it's obvious that, okay, they put it out there saying, well, this person did back this game, so you know that going into the review. Right. And yeah, as Becky, long as it's I don't, clear I don't think you there. realize, but that was a hell of a segue to another really <laughs> terrible thing that happened with this. Um, Jen Frank, uh, who formerly of 1UP, uh, she's been, oh, what was that? It was the site that Nate was writing for for a while. I forget, I, I'm blanking on that. Unwinnable, unwinnable. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, Jen Frank, who, awesome person from that I remember from back in the 1UP days. I actually met her at some, like, convention in Philly, I think, like, years ago before I was even on the site. Um, but she is someone who I've always very much liked her writing, and she wrote an article um, about the whole Zoe Quinn stuff, and when she sent the article to uh, the the Guardian, which is yeah. a very reputable, ages old newspaper, mm-hmm. um, she sent a disclosure along with it. The Guardian said that oh, you don't need to disclose that. It was basically that like she was friends with someone who was mentioned in the article. Um, th- this very reputable newspaper that I think is something like 150 years old said they didn't need the disclosure, and then people. Jumped on her, doxed her, did whatever, and then she's Dr- not ready. She's completely out of video games now. Yeah, I heard yep. that. Well, mm-hmm. um, all because of, of like someone saying that her disclosure wasn't necessary. I know, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jen Frank, actually. Yeah. I think she's a fantastic writer, and yeah, that was really unfortunate, and I hope once things calm down that she'll come back, but I don't blame her for not wanting to come back. Yeah. I mean, I think you can really only take so much. Yeah, not with the atmosphere that's surrounding things right now. Right. No, and you can't you can't blame people for getting out of the game with this kind of yeah. Yeah. an atmosphere. It's right. You know, and, and the the hell of it is you're screwed if you do and you're screwed if you don't. <laughs> yeah. People say, Oh you gave up, screw you, you know, you uh buckled under pressure and well nobody should have to take that kind of abuse. Yeah, everybody right. wants a martyr out of someone, but it's like, yeah. Yeah. it's their life. Yeah. They can only take so much. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, you, I think we lose sight of how this really does impact the real lives of people. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. those who are on the receiving ends of these attacks. Um, of course, so. it's always worse when people make assumptions of, like, how she did want to disclose that information. But, right. you know, nobody <laughs> cared about that. Even when it was revealed that she did want to disclose it, nobody, you know, let up on the harassment towards her. Yeah, and, you know, it's 
people are so eager to hate and that's what makes it so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Was it the John Gabriel equation or something? Uh, an- anonymity plus an audience equals cockwad? Yeah. <laughs> or the greater internet fuckwad theory. Yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah. That's totally right. true. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that will pretty much do it for the segment today. I mean, maybe this is something we'll re- you know, come revisit later. Hopefully not, though. Maybe uh, yeah. the segment will end Gamergate for good, yep. and we'll all be happy. And we'll and... be famous. Yeah, and we, <laughs> it yeah, all we'll started with Scott's editorial. <laughs> That's um, right. And as, as, turning as, point. As long as you're not going to be a flagrant asshole, um, feel free to write in any questions or comments about this. Um, but if you're a flagrant asshole, we'll probably read it and get really pissed off and then not read it anywhere. Yeah, or I mean, um, you know, like, or, or talk to any of us on Twitter or yeah. comment on, on the post. But, like, the biggest thing is just if, as long as we can have, like, a good, healthy discourse, you know, mm-hmm. or a good discussion. That's what it's got to be at this point. Like, yeah. No, yeah. no, like, slogans, no hashtags, no anything like that. I mean, just just talk with just each other. Just talk and listen. Characters, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. We all, like, together, we can make yeah. we can make things better. For sure. Like, I am, I am, I am interested in discourse and, and even debate. Uh, but, yeah, flagrant assholes need not apply. But <laughs> um, everyone else, feel free to write in. Uh, yeah, talk to us on Twitter. I'm at Enron10. I'm at ZMiller1902. I'm at OKSoda. <laughs> I'm at Kim Keller A. I'm at BH Dangerface. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah, Zach, Neil, Kim, and Becky, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you guys later. Bye. 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 <laughs>
like after the first round of the playoffs. I, f- I feel like it was after the first round, yeah, because I think we were really excited about the prospect of the Blackhawks playing against Ilya Brzezgalov, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. I mean, and his who, who his, isn't excited about Ilya Brzezgalov? I mean, his, his glorious Sonic the Hedgehog helmet. Uh, that is, that it's is just the most Ilya Brzezgalov. It's so perfect for him. And, like, it's so good because it is, like, the B squad from Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, it I was, was just, Shadow. I was just, it was just so close. If it only it had Big the Cat. Yeah, that would have really topped it off. But it did have like what's her the vampire Rouge, what's her name? yeah, Rouge was there. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. So good and so bad in so many ways. Um so yeah, we're going to talk about I guess just, you know, our, our individual favorite teams for a bit and then we'll we'll make our uh division predictions and play you know, getting to the playoffs and all that good stuff. Um so yeah, let's go ahead and start I think with Donald because I think the Always Leafs had, the the, yeah, the Le- I feel like the Leafs, like, they, it was like sort of an eye-opening summer for the Maple Leafs. They kind of went out of their way. Didn't they sign, like, a few, like, advanced stats guys and, like, started, like, an advanced stats department even? Yeah, um, they, yeah. They the Flyers it. did that as well. That's kind of the in thing in the NHL. Oh, really? Even, even the Oilers went so far as to get some fancy stats guys in. But they all, I mean, they hired, they brought Brendan Shanahan out of player safety to mm-hmm. try and change the culture of that team. They thankfully did not re-sign Dave Boland for five years and twenty-seven and a half million dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I like Boland. He did some good things with the Blackhawks, but that is insane. But I guess that's what happens when you're the Panthers and you're like, you have to spend money just to make it to the, you know, the this cap floor, let alone the ceiling. I mean, even you know, Florida. I mean, I, you roll it in money in Florida. You got so much attendance, so many people showing up. <laughs> yeah, did you guys see the the picture of like their opening, their home opener? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, figured Ottawa, Ottawa isn't a big draw in the states, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I know. That, I guess not. I, I swear that looked like a, a Miami Marlins game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. No, actually, atrocious. they were drawing all right this season. They were doing. A lot better when the team is actually kind of competitive. It's not nearly as good as the Marlins. <laughs> yeah, it was bad, and it's like it's especially bad. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess any arena looks bad when it's empty, but there's something about like an empty hockey or basketball arena just being all like closed off. It just I don't know. It looks really depressing, and that's how that's how that hockey game felt. <laughs> it was really bad. Um, and then instantly that started up the relocation rumors, as seems to always happen every year with like one of those fringe teams. I don't teams. think the relocation rumors for Florida ever really go away. Mm-mm. Them and, uh, well, I guess they're Arizona now. Yeah, all, they're no, always. But the getting... league was spending so much. I mean, the league like purposely kept them there. They spent all the money and all the like. No, we're going to keep this team in Arizona for no reason. I don't know. But yeah, like Florida, there doesn't seem to be as much of a push from the league to stay in Florida. Although I guess it's kind of early in the process. Yeah, and and plus there is a fully functional hockey market in Tampa. So I was going to say that's the like... crazy thing. I mean, like you know, you say oh Florida, but Tampa does really well, and part of it's because they're not awful like the Panthers are. But I mean, they like they do it right in Tampa. Well, right, they have like one of the most exciting offensive players in Stamkos, and then I think it's just something about like. Bishop, too. He got one the, of the best young goalies in the game. Yeah, there you go. And, like, so, I don't know. And then, of course, just being around Miami, I mean, it's it, there's just so many other Miami is not doing. a good place for professional sports. No. I mean, like, nobody, even the Dolphins do all right because they have eight games a year. But, like, 
you know, anybody else in Miami, it's uh, it's not I a mean, great place to be. My, Miami sports. Heat games aren't even always weren't always well. They out, were like, in the when regular LeBron season. was there, but not yeah, even but always. Like, there, would be, there would be empty seats even like and not during playoffs, but in the regular season even. It's just that's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, they're gonna drop they're gonna drop off significantly this season. Oh yeah, don't forget the Miami Heat had empty seats in the last thirty seconds of an NBA Finals game that they ended up winning. It was so yeah, good. That was that was the best. I, yeah, I know. They wanted to get back in and they couldn't. That was <laughs> no, fun. That was so good. That like sums up that whole situation perfectly. Um. So yeah. Well, let's get back then to the Maple Leafs. So yeah, they they went out of their way. I, I think the Maple Leafs are sort of notoriously known for sort of ignoring advanced stats. Um. Especially two seasons ago. Um. When they made the playoffs, but then sort of fell apart in that first round. Um. So Donald, how how are the Maple Leafs doing? Did they did apart from statistics, guys? Did they kind of do anything that excites you or uh, that has like paid dividends at this point? They they I mean they made a couple of sign a couple of smaller signings. They the the thing is they just didn't go crazy, mm-hmm. and they because they had such a they had a really good first half of the season, and then the Olympics came and went, and they pretty much went into the tank after that. So yeah, didn't they lose like some crazy amount of games and just completely fell out of the the playoff hunt? Like I think they lost seven in a row in regulation at one point at least, and and before that we were you know all the talk of a you know Toronto Montreal first round playoff series for the first time in heaven knows how long. Mm-hmm. But I mean they didn't they didn't go too crazy. Some of the people that some of the people that they had lost in free agency signed deals that. Toronto would have no business signing them for, although I am kind of disappointed we lost Kuhleman. But mm-hmm. at at this point, honestly, we're just counting down the time until Carlisle gets fired. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think I said I mentioned there was a there was a there was a list of the most the Vegas had odds on who was most likely to get it fired, and and Carlisle I think was like twice as likely as the next guy. Oh jeez, because <laughs> they sacked all of his assistant coaches as well. So that's a bad sign. Yeah. I don't get that. Like, why not just get rid of? I mean, unless they just really felt there was no one else on the market like worthwhile. But I don't get like doing like a full sweeping change like that, but leaving the coach. I mean, at that point, you really are just like a sitting duck because there's no They're way. In a match to dry, they're basically yeah. saying either win now or else. And man, after seeing him on twenty four seven, I just, I just don't know about that guy. <laughs> I know. I mean, it doesn't mean you're that safe. Remember, the Flyers fired. Uh, La Violette after three games last year. That's true. So, yeah. I mean, like, you, you, you doesn't mean he's going to get a ton of time. I, I'm i honestly surprised that he wasn't let go after the first two games, especially the second one. Now, granted, that was against Pittsburgh, who, you know, won. Pittsburgh won. is an incredible team in the regular season. Exactly. <laughs> and But then they go out the next night and they blast the defending Eastern Conference champion. So, I don't know anymore. Yeah. But... All I know is I want I want to see what happens at the All Star break. If at that point they're you know five six points out of a play out of a wild card spot, I want them to tank like they're a free to play Wii U game. <laughs> but see the problem. I mean, we point out with the new lottery system, even finishing with the worst record in hockey only gets you a one in four chance. But at the it, top pick, yeah, but it's a good draft. I mean, it's a solid year for the draft. Even if you're like second or third, you're going to be pretty solid. But I mean, it doesn't help you as much as it wouldn't in some other sports. Yeah, but even looking at recent history, where the I think the only team that hasn't had at least two top picks in recent years that's won the Stanley Cup is basically the Kings. 
And even then they have Drew Doughty, who is, I think, third overall when he was drafted. Sure, Toronto has Van Riemsdyk, second overall pick, but... Mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for taking Luke Shen off our hands, by the way. But yeah, he's awful. I mean, they get done. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but Jesus Christ. But you, you really need those two superstar level players, and Van Riemsdyk is solid. He's probably one of the be- probably, if not best or se- second or third best forward. But he, we need that big piece to contend in the next few years. Oh. But I think I mean you know I you know I had him on my fantasy team last year I don't this year but I I really like what I've seen of, of Bernier I think you guys I mean Reimer's not a hell of a second goaling I think you, yeah you guys are like a piece away from being a really really dangerous team How do you um are you a Kessel fan I I really do like Kessel he's he's the he's the best player on the team but yeah with only Bernier really being anywhere near him mm-hmm. and I don't. And sure, he'll have his cold streaks, but at the end of the year, he'll have you know thirty-five, forty goals, yep. seventy, eighty points, and he makes and he does make players look better. He's sort of like a he's a minor version of a Crosby or Malkin in that regard. He can make you know James Neal look like a superstar. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um. All right. Well, before we won't really get into your uh, prediction here for them. Uh, this season, well, we'll do that when we do our our whole prediction for division. But uh, JP, why don't you talk a little bit about your Flyers? Who I, I think the biggest splash so far has been that Chris Pronger is now a part of the uh, yeah, NHL brass. We've got an inside man. We've infiltrated the league <laughs> office. I know. I love the, all this like stuff about how like well, don't worry, he won't review any like Flyers. He's not gonna, he disciplinary can't discipline hearings. the Flyers, but he can you know discipline the Penguins and the Rangers. Right. I don't get it. Like, who yeah. cares? Like, I, does anyone really believe he's gonna like be favorable to the Flyers? Like, I don't get that. I mean, I understand I that he is still being paid by them, but I don't yeah, see that. He's being still an being issue. paid by us a lot because we yeah. gave him a long-term deal, and then he got a career-ending injury. But it's like. The problem is the way the salary cap is structured, he would hurt the team a lot by retiring, and so they keep him on long-term IR to right. it helps with the cap. And it's like, they sh- they really need to change that rule. I mean, like, it's it's the league's own fault for making it so that it doesn't, it, you know, he would really hurt us by leaving. So, right. I don't know, that's an issue. And I think it's cool they recognize that, and now they're allowing him to be a part of the player. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't, I, it's a big story, and but I, I don't see it being a problem. He seems... I mean, I guess you can point to his behavior on the ice. I mean, like his his you know player safety problems. It's like you didn't hit this guy hard enough. You didn't hit the, you didn't elbow this guy enough kind yeah. of thing. But damn it, uh, Pronger. Yeah, I, <laughs> I uh, I don't I don't I don't uh, mistrust his integrity. I think it's an odd choice to hire him as player safety, but I, I, I don't think that's going to be a huge issue in terms of like integrity or anything. No, I. But yeah, getting back I, to I the team, so. the Flyers. Uh, the, oh, our defense is just so damn terrible. Um. We have the aforementioned Luke Shen, uh, who's, you know, he's Luke Shen. I don't know what else to say. He's not good. <laughs> um, I mean, the thing is, the, the one thing you want to say about Luke Shen, Luke Shen is, is as much shit as he gets. He's like 24, okay? Especially for, like, a defenseman. He could get better. Now, he's running out of time to do that, but, I mean, he's, I don't know. But but the real problem there is Kimo Timonen, who was the best defenseman last year, uh, had what is looking like it's going to be a career-ending injuries. You know, 39, he was coming back for one more year, and then, uh, I don't remember specifically what it was, but it was very, like, blood clots, I think it was. So he, like, he's in bad shape. Uh, and so you have a really kind of terrible defensive core. 
Now, and I think, you know, one thing I will say is I really like Ron Hextall as the GM because there are some pretty high-level defensive prospects in the Flyer system. You have a Shane Gossespierre, who was, you know, best player in, in college last year. Sam Morin, who's, you know, you, you want to talk Chris Pronger. He's got the build of a Chris Pronger. He's a guy who could be there. But uh, Hextall is basically saying, yeah, we're not going to be that good this year regardless of what we do. So we're going to let those guys develop in the lower levels. And, I mean, that's a refreshing change of pace from his predecessor, Paul Holmgren, who by now would have traded both of them away to, you know, somebody else in the Western Conference in exchange for a 37-year-old defenseman that could help us win now. So I, I like that he's thinking long-term, but, yeah, this year's this year's not going to be great. Like, in terms of forward, I think you're good. I, I, and people give Steve Mason a lot of shit, even though it's really not his fault. It's <laughs> really – it's the guys in front of him are the main issue – you know, when Braden Coburn's the best defenseman on your team, you know, it's it's not a good situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, even without that, the Flyers have looked solid. I mean, they've, they have they haven't won yet, but they're, they're 0-2-2, and, two and, two, and each each uh, loss, with the exception of, uh, with the exception of the New Jersey game, which they lost, they lost by one each game, except for that one, which the, the last goal was an empty net goal. So, I mean, they, they've been in it, they've looked solid at times. But you know, I mean, you had things like the Montreal game where they had a three nothing lead in the third period that they blew, and so you know, you, I you know, I love Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux is great. I'm a huge fan of Wayne Simmons, who's been big. He's got five goals already this season, a big year. But it's just that defense is that defense is bad. I mean, they're you know, that's that's going to hold this team back. Yeah, I would agree. Because the offense is exciting, it's fun to watch. I think I watched. Because they were one of the teams that played on the the season opening night. I, I think right, I did watch yes, that game did. against was, was it the, the Bruins? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. So it was a pretty good game. Um, but yeah, I just it's just like you said, the defense just <laughs> is not there, unfortunately. I mean, um, it's like yes, yeah, so you got I mean, you got Morin, you got Spur, you got Travis Sanheim, who was their first pick last year. You got Robert Hag. You have an exciting core of defensive prospects, but you don't have anyone there right now. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we'll just have to have to see there, but um, yeah, that is not a not a winning combination. Um, so then for my Blackhawks, um, I you know I don't even really know how to feel about this season. I I've read a lot of things that people say like if the Hawks are going to repeat again as a Cup winner, this is the year to do it because next year, uh, Kane and Taves their big uh raise kicks in. They were yeah. signed. I mean, over you the look. Summer. I mean, like you want to point to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh hasn't gotten out of like the second round of the postseason since they ended up paying Crosby and Malkin that kind of money. Yeah, exactly. The league isn't set up in a way that you can be like a legit cup contender, you know, paying so few guys so much. So yeah, this is this this is a big test for you. Yeah, although to be fair, I think the Penguins could move on if they got a better goalie, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, well, again, like Flurry, I mean, it's a contract year for Flurry. I mean, so he's either gonna step up or he's gonna be gone next year. So yeah. And Flurry and Flurry's backups have always played better than him since he signed that original big deal to begin with. Yeah, I mean the fact that Vokun was like playing in the playoffs late, you know, in like the second and third rounds. I mean that's it's crazy. Um, so yeah, so the, you know this is this is kind of like people are saying that the last year to really push, um, or you know at least to be like really dominant, um, how they have been the the past couple of years, um. But things already feel, like, a little bit off. I mean, it's still early in the season, so it's hard to really tell. There really wasn't that much shakeup in the roster. We did trade Luddy right before the season started, but, I mean, he was basically our, like, fifth or sixth defenseman. So not really the huge deal. And like I already mentioned before we started recording, we have uh, 
Uh, speaking of Van Riemsdyk, we have his little brother Trevor now playing defense, and he looks uh, solid and, and good, especially for only being 19. Um, so I'm excited about that. That seems to be working out pretty well. But it's like the the lower two lines right now just seem kind of shuffled, and they, they're not really clicking. Um, we got Daniel Carcillo back, which is hilarious in, like, the worst ways. I love too, JP. You were like, you have Carcillo back. I was like, he's just playing one game. Like, there's no way they'll sign him. (laughs) No No way. He's there. He's still there. Yeah, he scored a goal in in the second game. Uh, So there was that, at least. He's probably (laughs) the one he'll score this year. Well, yeah, and then he had, like, the the last game, which they lost to the Flames after shooting 50 shots on net. They lost 2-1 in overtime, um, which is insane. Yeah, um... But uh, Carcillo had, like, three open nets to shoot at and, like, whiffed on every single one. So he, he quickly adjusted back to the mean, so that's good. Looks like Brad um, Richards isn't doing very very much, no, although granted, incredibly and, small sample size. No, and I was going to bring that up. Like, that was kind of their big signing, and everyone was like, oh, great, you know, like, you get him for a year, it's cheap, like, it's a low-risk kind of signing, he'll be good, he'll be your second-line center. And then he didn't even last through preseason as the second-line center. He, um... All preseason, he skated between Saad and Kane, as was kind of thought, you know, was going to be the the plan. And in the very last preseason game, uh, Quimbo sat him and instead put Shaw back uh, at center, which is where they finished in that L.A. series, which if you remember, that's like where all the goals were coming from. And they, like, came together to score, like, two or three goals in that last preseason game. And then Quimbo was like, okay, that's my second line. Like, Brad Richards is down to the third line now. And then last game against the Flames, he actually sat that third line uh, for most of the game um, and just skated three lines. So he skated his first, second, and fourth line. So he completely, he jumped the fourth line over the third line, which is not, (laughs) you know, it just kind of tells you where they're at right now. Um, So, yeah, that was not good. So that that hasn't been a very uh, exciting signing at this point. He's just looked bad, bad turnovers. Um, Yeah, just, just has not looked good. I see why New York bought him out because he's he's just it just seems to not be there. And we're only paying two million. I can't imagine if he was on my roster and he was eating up that much cap space like he was in New York. But but yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, they're obviously doing fine. I mean, they lost in over the only loss so far is that one against Calgary in overtime, um, which was just a, a weird fluke of a game anyway. Um, but we'll just we'll just have to see how things go. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So let's go ahead then and make sort of our season predictions here. Um, so we'll go division by division and, uh, yeah, just kind of uh, pick our top three teams, so the three that will make it in the playoffs. And then if you want, we could do the uh, the wild cards too. So let's go ahead and start in the Atlantic division then. Um, we'll go ahead and just go ahead and go around here. Uh, Donald, what, what are you thinking? I it's gonna, The top three is going to be the same as last year. Boston running away with the division once they get their head together. Montreal and Tampa in the, in the two other divisional slots. And I'll come out and say it, I don't see a wild card coming out here unless Toronto pulls out a miracle. Yeah, the only other team would like maybe be the Red Wings, but I don't that know. Like, I think like this is... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're recording this after a few regular season games that happened, but I think that almost makes it harder to try and predict what's going to happen because you've seen a lot of weird things happen so far, and it's like, well, what's real and what isn't? I agree with Donald. I, I mean, I think, you know, it's, yeah, your, your top three, I don't know exactly what order they're going to be in, but it's going to be Boston, Montreal, and Tampa Bay. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, it's like I would say, I don't know if there's going to be a wild card, but I'm not sure there's a wild card in the Metropolitan either, and so it might be somebody just ended up backing in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Though the Bruins have not looked good so far. But they're, um, I mean, I, I you know, it's I, early. Of all the teams it's that haven't looked good, I trust them the most to figure right, it out. Right. Um. Yeah. So I I figured they'll probably get in. I don't think they'll run away like like Donald, like you said. I think they'll they'll end up taking like the third spot, maybe the yeah, second. Yeah. I think. But... I mean, I yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say they're going to run away with not with like I mean, Montreal is a strong team. Tampa, I think people, you know, we mentioned a bit before we recorded Tampa is a team that uh, that's, that's a solid team. I mean, it's like, it's easy to forget about them because they're in Florida, but that's, I mean, that's a talented team. And I, I can see them if they kind of click, if they, you know, get things rolling, they could win that division. And yeah. look at what they did last year and Stamkos missed how much time? And he they missed s- a ton. Yeah, which, and they okay, as someone who owned him in fantasy last year, that was bad, and they still did all right. <laughs> yeah, and last year was so fluky in the playoffs, too, because you had so many goalies get hurt. Like, I think the Canadians would have easily made it to the Stanley Cup final if Quick, or uh, not Quick, but if um, Price hadn't got hurt. And then, you know, same with the the Lightning. I mean, Bishop got hurt. What, like, did he even play? Did he get hurt right at the end of the season, I think? Yeah, he, I think it was, like, the second or third last regular season game. Bishop yeah. gets hurt, and then... Tampa has to tot, trot out two backups, and they get swept. Yep. It was not good. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like, yeah, I think if you have a healthy Stamkos and a healthy Bishop for at least most of the way, I could definitely see them winning that division. Um. So how about the Metropolitan Division? Because I think this is one of the more, like, interesting, kind of, like, no real idea who's going to who's gonna take the top three spots. Um, yeah, I mean, I you, can, you assume the, the the Penguins, of course, but the other Penguins than that, will be in the top three. I don't, you know, they'll probably make an early exit in the playoffs, but they'll be one of the top teams in that division. Yeah, the Rangers. I mean, you know, Henrik Lundqvist. I kind of want to just give them one of those spots just because of that. I mean, they won the East last year. They're, you know, they're not, you know, exactly the most high scoring of teams, but you know, Henrik Lundqvist. That's you know, when you got him, you're you're in good shape. You have a shot. Yeah. And then after that, I don't even know. I mean, like, there's so many, like, you know, there's, what, seven, eight teams in the division. Those are the only two I'm like, yeah, they're in. Yeah, I I think Pitts, I think, actually, Pittsburgh Rangers, the obvious two. The Islanders, they seem to, they upgraded their goaltending big time. They got Tavares yeah, back from was, injury. I mean, that's, that's... Like, I'm not, you know, it's, they're the Islanders, you know, they've been bad for so long, but I mean, based on what they've done so far, based on, on paper, that's... That's a team that could do that. I mean, like, like, I mean, in, especially in that division where there are so many questions. I mean, the Flyers, you know, the Flyers, again, you know, they, they haven't been blown out. They've been in every one of their games. The last two they lost in shootouts, which they have, you know, there are a lot of teams, there are several teams, at least in the NHL, that have won more shootouts on the road than the Flyers have overall. Yeah. They have historically been terrible there. But it's it's just... I, I, you know, like, like it would have been easy to write them off last year. The Flyers last year started one and seven, and they ended up making the playoffs. You know, I try. I mean, Wayne Simmons is great. Claude Giroux is great. If they can even get mediocre play out of their defense, I could see them. You know, in one of those spots at you know toward the bottom, even if it's just a wild card. There, there but the other the the problem is there. I think there's actually three teams that could that would take the two wild cards because the picture I just posted there, Washington's clearly made a deal with the devil. Yeah. I mean, again, it's one of those, you've got Washington, hell, you talk about Devil, the New Jersey Devils have somehow 
you know, figured something out. I know they're like a billion years, you know, you know, Yarmir Yager's going to win one more cup before he goes away. <laughs> the only reason the Devils missed the playoffs last year was because they lost 13 consecutive coin flips. They didn't win a single shootout. They were they finished five points out of the playoffs and lost at least six points to assuming 50-50 in the shootout. So you have, and there's they're still the factor of Columbus. You know, they, they've got yeah. Bobrovsky. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> you could steal that. That's all you need. Yeah, they a, do. Rob them another cup, or no, at least another playoff spot, and maybe look at that at the first round this time. But I mean, it's one of those. Yeah, I could. I mean, Columbus could get in. New Jersey, I, I don't know. It's one of. The, I think New Jersey's going to regress a bit, but I think there's still a team that could get in. I mean, like, yeah, I think New York and Pittsburgh are in, and then like pretty much anyone else in the division that isn't Carolina has a shot after that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but I do think, yeah, I do think the the wild card spots are both going to come from this division. I think it is going to be probably Columbus, and then, um, gosh, I guess probably either the Islanders or the Devils. Whoever doesn't take the third spot, really. The Islanders have been good. I mean, they're undefeated so far. I mean, it's just four games, but still, it's I mean, that's really, compared yeah, to where I mean, they were, like, you know, last year. I mean, it's, it's, it's easier. I mean, it's easier to write them off. You know, it's like you know they've been. They, I mean, they, I mean, they won however many cups in the '80s, but really since then they have been toward the bottom. And to think that they could finally be figuring it out, yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm not ready to just say, oh yeah, they're in this. Isn't it crazy to think how things, how different things would be if the Flyers had been able to get Shea Weber when they tried to? Yeah. Well, they're def- <laughs> Yeah, that would be right. I mean, would, you, that would you be go a from, lot better. Yeah, from like right now having like the worst defense to having one of like even possibly Wasn't the that, best that defense. Before... Yeah. That was before uh, the uh, JVR trade, right? So we'd still have JVR, you figure. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have been desperate to go get Luke Shen. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it's a different picture at that point. But, I mean, like I said, Hextall, building for the future. He's like saying, we're not going to trade everything to win now. We're going to keep going. We're going to build the farm system. And I think in two years, this Flyers team could be unbeatable. But this year, not so much. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the Western Conference then. And we'll go ahead and hit the Central Division which I think is, like, just a clusterfuck. Um, yeah. yeah it's, that's a... it's There's so many good teams in this division. Uh, it's kind of absurd. Um, so naturally, the Blackhawks, of course. You've got the, the Blues, I think, are, like, those are obviously the two favorites to get out. The Blues but... haven't looked that impressive so far, but you have no. to figure that they'll, they'll improve. <laughs> well, the, the goaltending certainly a question, now that they've given, given uh, what, Elliot, yeah, the keys to the car here. Um, who I, I don't think has ever been that impressive, but we'll he, see what happens there. Elliot's been good in spot in if assuming half the workload, and mm-hmm. I do, but I do think this is the year that Jake Allen takes over that the number one role for the Blues. You'll oh yeah, probably see that. You'll probably see that by the All Star break. He'll get the majority of the starts in the second half. Yeah, I would not be surprised by that. Um, you've got the Dallas Stars who like went crazy this summer, made all kinds of trades, and now are like this huge offensive threat. Um, and seem, yeah, poised to really push into the playoffs and make it out of the first round this year. Um, the Wild are hanging around. I mean, they're, they, they've gotten better, I think. Um, they embarrassed the Avalanche the first two games, which is great. I love to see that because I really don't Everybody's like the Avalanche. Everybody's embarrassing the Avalanche. These yeah. Days. Well, that's true. Like, like, like of all the teams, I mean, and this goes back to sort of the advanced stats thing. Like, if it was Maple Leafs, like, a, two years ago, and I guess even la- last year, you know, sort of getting dogged by, uh, people saying that they were going to regress towards the mean. The uh, the Avalanche are certainly doing that now, um, and things aren't. Remember, gonna... I mean, the Avalanche last year had the number one pick. I mean, they were, you know, they they were not. You know, then they came, like shocked everybody. I mean, they they had a, a great 
you know, unexpected season. I mean, I think it's, you know, you kind of had to expect them to fall back a bit. Right. And, I mean, yeah, you had great performances. I mean, Romalov had like a career year and now he's actually on IR. Yeah. Been playing very well before that anyway. They actually asked Patrick Waugh if he was going to strap on the pads. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he did. And and JP He'd probably still be better than a decent number of guys in the league. <laughs> yeah, and, and JP, you're a baseball fan. You know what happened with the Baltimore Orioles last year after they came out of nowhere in 2012. I think for Colorado, this is their 2013 Orioles year. I th- I think they missed the playoffs completely. Yep. So you're saying they're gonna finish in the Eastern Conference Finals next year? <laughs> may, it maybe maybe it bounces out. Maybe they they at least win their division, but. In the Central, I go Chicago first, then St. Louis, Dallas, and Minnesota takes a wild card. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. I mean, I, I you know, it, it's yeah. I mean, that's 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 tough to argue with. Those those are. I mean, it's a it's a good division. It's a kind of a deep division, deeper than a lot of other ones. I mean, we talked about how. Oh, the the Metropolitan has like six teams that could make the playoffs. Yeah, but the, you know, all four of those teams are better than at least all but two of them in the Metropolitan. Well, so the thing thing with the Metropolitan is it's like, I think any of those teams could make it because there's not really, like, a dominant choice apart from, like, maybe the Penguins. But whereas with, like, the Central, it's like, well, no, these four teams are all really good teams, and, like, that's why you think they could make it. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, like, a different... You know, it's like it's kind of the same thing, but a little bit different, I guess. Um, yeah, it's basically just a better version of the Metropolitan. Yeah. In some ways. Like it's just it's a deep division, but it's you know better at the top. I think. Right. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you, Donald. I mean, those are my my three to make it for sure. Um, and then yeah, I think the Wild will will get in again through uh, the Wild Card or possibly you know finishing third and then Dallas getting fourth. But either way, that that those are the four getting in without a doubt. Uh, so then let's take a look at the Pacific Division. Um, you know, I, I never really know what to expect out of the Pacific. I mean, obviously, the California teams are all really good right now. Um, yeah, I you can't it, really it's, deny that. It's, I mean, I'm not sure who else really there is that's going to compete with them. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, that, that division is, it's like a sandwich. You've got the California teams up top, Calgary, Edmonton, and Arizona, as the as the bottom, and then Vancouver is the filling. Yep. Yeah, and it didn't used to be that way. Vancouver used to be sitting pretty at the top. Vancouver was yeah, so much so up there. I yeah, but they have like really it. fallen off. A couple years ago, they were way up top there. But yeah, I mean California. I mean, you want to you you want to bring history into it. The last team, the last time a, a an NHL team lost after being up three games to none, they came back and won the cup. And I would not be shocked if the uh, San Jose Sharks pulled that trick again. That's that's a good team. They're playing well, and I, you know, I I find it hard to really. I mean, the Kings, the Kings have been good, but they've been, you know, they they. I mean, they they started slow, but I mean, that's that's a talented team, and and you know, yeah, the Ducks, the Ducks are are also good. I mean, like, I think it's the top three in that division is going to be the California teams. I think mm-hmm. there's not much of a question there. Yep. Yeah, easy. What were you going to say, Dom? I was going to say the San San Jose is PO'd after the after blowing the three zero lead to the. To the oh, sure. I mean, San Jose has so much of a history of blowing it in the postseason. I think this is the year where they're like, no, this isn't going to happen again. We're going to get this going. I think they make a good run. I don't know. They go, you know, all the way, but I think they, they're 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 uh, they're gonna they're gonna have a good showing in the postseason, which they haven't really done historically. Yeah, I I I can see them at least winning, getting to the conference finals this year. But yeah, can, San, yeah. I, I think. 
L, I think San Jose, LA, Anaheim, Vancouver, there's your four playoff teams from the Pacific. Yeah, but, well, and, I mean, it definitely has to be that, because it's definitely the Flames, the Coyotes, and the Oilers definitely are making it. So I guess I mean, it, it... Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, those... But, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure I'm not sure there is a wild card in that division. I was going to say, I think it's either I, I could see a fifth team in the in the central, you know, over a, th- a fourth team in in the uh, in the Pacific. I mean, there's a big drop off after California and Vancouver. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't totally buy Vancouver as as a team that can really make that final push to get into that wild card spot. Well, especially since they have to play most games against all these these California teams. <laughs> well, I mean, that's <laughs> that the thing, I and mean, that's the argument against another team in the Central as well. You have to play yeah, Chicago true. and Minnesota and St. Louis so many times that I mean, you know, like it. Yeah, I think the the the, uh, the Western Conference is very you know strong at the top. You know, but uh, yeah, I think whoever's going to get those final wild cards. Is is going to have to really push, you know. I, you know, there's the, you know, yeah. You know, the, the California teams are obvious. Chicago, you know, you know, St. Louis, I guess, you know, are very strong. But I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, going to be a lot of competition for those last couple spots. All right. Well, I guess that will just about do it. Um. So thanks, JP and Donald, for being here as always. Um. Maybe we'll come back and do sort of a midseason uh, review. Uh, you know, around the time of the Winter Classic. I'm excited for the return. I, I don't know if they probably won't be able to call it 24-7, but we will get uh, behind-the-scenes. Yeah, I'm not um, sure. Yeah, you it, know, depends look, on, it depends on who owns the rights to that name, but yeah, we'll yeah, effectively that. Something, something's coming, though, similar to that uh, with the Winter Classic, and then that involves the Blackhawks, which who, is great for me. will be the star? I mean, I think, yeah. you know, Ilya Brzezgalov, like, really made himself. I mean, like, who, you know, I don't know that people were really... You know, people are like, oh, Ilya Brzezgalov, the Flyers paid him a lot of money, but, like, he he became the character of Ilya Brzezgalov with that show. Yeah. yeah, and I think Patrick, I think this is pretty much set up for Patrick Kane to become somewhat of a household name. Oh, yeah, heaven sure. knows like, he's wild enough. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like he's already on the fringe. I mean, he's in, like, he's in that, like, I don't know if you guys have seen the McDonald's commercial right now for the, like, Monopoly game. I mean, it's, like, LeBron James, yeah, that, like, yeah. a NASCAR driver, and then Patrick Kane, of all people. Um, so yeah, I think he's definitely like, he's on the cusp there and I think this will, this will push him over and you're right. Like he loves like the spotlight and those, those moments. So I think he's going to be pretty interesting to, uh, to see. Um, so I'm excited about that for sure. Um, so yeah, so that should be good. So yeah, we'll be back, I guess, uh, sometime around, you know, a little bit before uh, the new year. So, uh, thanks for listening and we will talk to you guys later. Peace.